Are you spending more time in your basement now that it's your rec room, office, kids' playroom, or home gym? Well, you need to ventilate those spaces to remove stagnant, musty air. For over 20 years, the Easy Breathe Ventilation System exchanges dirty, damp air for cleaner, drier, healthier air. Take charge of your indoor air with your own Easy Breathe Ventilation System. You can get it installed or DIY kits are available. Just call 866-822-7328 or visit TakeChargeOfYourAir.com and receive 20% off today. New on CuriosityStream. I'm James Burke. I'm going to take you on a journey through time. James Burke's visionary series returns. Reimagined for our time. Now, this is all uncharted territory. The Washington Post hails Burke as one of the most intriguing minds in the Western world. The New York Times raves he careens from one great moment in history to another. Where do we want to go from here? Experience all new connections. So what's the next connection? With monthly, annual, and bundled plans, find the one that works for you at curiositystream.com. Welcome to High Stakes, episode 18. For the first time, this is a stochastic production, no longer an Osmo production. Same great tools, same great shows, different name. Uh, Same great producer, Mike Lawrence is producing at AwesomeYo on Twitter. I'm Neil Orfield. You can find me on Twitter at PlayerQDFS. And my guest today is Warren Kosoy, who you can find on Twitter at WJKosoy. You probably know him best by his DraftKings name, which is Bills fan 777, also Bills fan 7 on FanDuel. Warren is uh, primarily, I think, known as a an NBA DFS shark. At least that's how I best know him uh, through the NBA streets where he has just been crushing it at all stakes for many years. Uh, he also has big wins in a lot of other sports, uh, including hockey and in NFL, where he took down over $470,000 uh, this past NFL season in one day. So that was a huge day. Warren's also an advocate uh, of niche sports, where it's not really as easy to win a ton of money in one day, but he's won a lot of money in niche sports over time. Unfortunately for Warren, uh, DFS is no longer available through DraftKings or FanDuel, at least in Ontario. Warren, how is that going for you? Do you, do you feel freed by no longer being able to play DFS? Uh, do you Are you getting the shakes because you can't play uh, DFS anymore? How, how are you feeling these days? Hey, how's it going? Happy to be on here. Um, yeah, it's been a weird adjustment. I think I kind of realized, I'm sure a lot of other DFS players don't realize this, but like you're kind of in a permanent state of like competitiveness and like it's a little bit stressful and when you take a step away you're like wow like <laughs> you just feel like uh everything's a little bit lighter um but there are times where like you know on a Wednesday night it's like my old habit is let's go look at the golf stuff and throw some lineups in and it's like oh wait I, I can't do that but uh, I'm getting used to it and I, I kind of like it I'm focusing more on like health stuff and uh just trying to go outside a lot more uh, so it's definitely a, an adjustment and it's sort of a transition period, but I, I always have the ability to move if I really want to. And I think uh, that's something I'm going to consider, especially when the, the sports I enjoy are coming back uh, pretty soon. So you, so you feel at least some freedom as a result of no longer being able to do, to play DFS. I know you're, you're still pretty involved in the DFS community to some extent. You and I are in a discord together with a bunch of DFSers. Uh, you also, you went out to California 
uh, shortly after it was banned in Ontario, right? Did you did you play DFS while you were in California just to get that fixed, or did you uh, continue playing the DFS free life? Um, honestly, I, I put a little bit on, but I didn't realize it doesn't let you play if you didn't have money on because I pulled all my money after it was done. Um, so I just had like a bit of money sitting there and I couldn't use it, but I was kind of thankful. I, like when I say I put a little, it's like literally just to throw in a few entries and like the NBA million dollar thing. And, uh, um, you know, I ended up using a few crowns for that. Uh, bird just flew into my window. That was crazy. Um, <laughs> sorry. A bird flew into your window just now? Yeah, but it's like, he was fine. He just flew away. Okay. All right. Good. Anyway. Good <laughs> yeah. Um, that just threw me off. But yeah, I just, I didn't really need to play. I was more there. I was like on a family trip and um yeah you can really connect with people better when you're not like fixated on seeing if uh, Rory McIlroy's minus three or how he's doing on the 18th hole or someone needs to make the cut so you can really focus on everything and the, you have a lot more energy throughout the day when you're not playing so it's been an interesting transition and a nice break probably one I didn't realize I needed but I'm sure I'll be ready to get back at it and possibly move somewhere if it's not reversed by the time uh, basketball comes back okay uh did you see this coming? Like, were, were you aware that this was uh, potentially coming down the line, that it would be banned in Ontario, or, or that, I guess, it's not banned. It's technically that the sites just pulled out uh, yeah. for, I, I don't, I didn't follow exactly what happened exactly, but the sites, it's technically legal, but the sites decided to pull out. Is that correct? Yeah, because they have, like, this whole new committee that wanted everything geofenced. So, essentially, if DraftKings or FanDuel wanted to operate in Ontario, they would have to create a DraftKings Ontario and then the lobby would be only Ontario players and supposedly there's only about uh, eight to ten thousand of those and I'm sure not all of them are playing regularly so the Millie maker being a hundred air maker would probably not be worth the investment for DraftKings yeah. or FanDuel with that being said and um, yeah they just decided to pull it out and uh, just pretty much kick us off the DFS streets, which kind of sucks. But Was it sudden, though, or, or was it something that you, know, you, you kind of had caught wind was a possibility, you know, a year in advance? No. Well, I knew that betting was becoming regulated here, but I just assumed it never even, like, crossed my mind or anyone's mind who I talked to in Ontario that DFS could be banned. And uh, it turns out I saw an old tweet from Jason Robbins that actually in 2021 it said, we're hoping we can convert all of the Ontario players to the sports book. And it had like one like, and it was like a response to something. So, uh, you know, I don't spend a ton of time online. So I, I happened to miss that one reply tweet from me. <laughs> but had I seen that, I may have been a little bit more prepared or at least asked a follow-up asking, are you actually going to ban this? Or is it just, uh, are you just saying you're hoping people will switch from DFS to Sportsbook and do both? Like I was thinking we were going to get both, but uh, just the way it is. I guess a, a cautionary tale for the rest of us that, you know, it could yeah. happen without us ever seeing it coming. I mean, it's a state by state thing. So uh, mm -hmm. I guess we got to be on the lookout for this potentially happening in, in states and other provinces. Uh, definitely a risk. But it sounds like you have at least some hope that it might come back before NBA season. Is that is it going to be something that uh, they're going to be looking uh, at? It sounds unlikely. Like I, oh. I read that it could take within could take a year for it to be reversed at minimum. Um, so it sucks, but I mean, I live like five hours from Quebec. Um, you know, when there's a will, there's a way. And yep. luckily I've built up a nice uh, foundation that I can afford to go move there if I want to. But I'm also considering just completely 
abandoning that path and just doing something else entirely. I'm not entirely sure what, but uh, my mind is kind of open to anything right now. Like I, if someone says, oh, I have this cool opportunity, I'm listening. I just know I don't want to sit behind a desk and have someone tell me what to do. So yeah. uh, somewhere in between DFS and having a desk job or going moving somewhere for DFS is probably the future. But uh, yeah, I actually started a, an Ontario-only DFS Discord. And it's just a bunch of disgruntled people hoping that it's going to come back. And uh, a lot of them are emailing their MPs and just hoping for uh, something to change. But uh, so far, no luck. But you never know if enough people hound their MPs. Like, that's what they're there for. And uh, maybe it will change in the future. All right. Well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're in a good spot that you have built up uh, enough money over time that you can kind of keep your options open. You're not pressed to go get a nine to five immediately. You can wait it out a little bit, see how things go, maybe find a new opportunity. So that's a good spot to be in. Uh, all right. Let, let's jump into how you built up that bankroll a little bit. Start with some some background information about you. Uh, starting with, I always ask everybody, what kind of background do you have in statistics? Do you have any uh, formal or informal statistics training? Honestly, like everything I learned, I kind of taught myself. Like I got a degree in philosophy in university, which did help in some regards. It helped a lot with like, you know, having good belief systems and, uh, you know, that applies very much so to DFS. Like I'll talk to people who are like, uh, you know, this guy does this on the road. This guy does this on Tuesday. And like sometimes not Tuesday, but like sometimes home road can be predictive, but like uh, there are certain things where people are relying on stuff that's not like true predictive data and just with experience you end up learning it and teaching yourself but I think philosophy helped me uh, propel that learning curve but as for actual statistics like I was I was the guy getting the math tutor in high school like I was not good at math like especially when you can't apply it to anything uh, like I was always good at like fractions and like like I was always the first one done my fractions booklet in like grade five and six. Like I, I remember, vividly remember that. Like I would do it in five minutes and the class was given like 30 or 40 minutes. I was always good with percentages and that. But like once I got to the next level, I was like, what is this? What, what is pi? What, what is going on? Right. So yeah, the stats were never my friend, but I always had a very vested interest in it with, with sports. Even as a kid, like I knew everyone's earned run average, like their batting average back then. That was like the talked about thing. Um, so more when you can apply it, it's more interesting to you, but not something that you right. have any kind of formal training. in. Exactly. Correct. What about, what about computer programming? Do you have any uh, formal or informal training in computer programming? That uh, absolutely none. And I'd say that was probably my biggest weakness in DFS is my inability to automate because I did everything kind of from scratch. I did it, you know, I use some sites projections, but I changed them and I do like a whole long process, but in terms of automating, I even people who automate, I tell them my process. And I'd say, is this possible to automate? And they'd say, well, so many factors and levels to what you're doing that it, I don't think you'd be able to ever automate this accurately at the degree that you're doing it in your head. But like the issue with that is you end up uh, starting early in the morning or not early, even like even like 11 and you're working for a few hours, you take a break, come back, start working more. And then once you do all that work, you're like, I need to know how my bets are going to turn out. And you need to follow the games. You need to like look at your head to heads to make sure you're not blocked. You need to, you know, go through three mans and see, oh, I'm down 20 points and he has the same salary left. So I need to change this player and maybe change one more because the other guy has like a 5% chance of catching the guy he has. So it's just a lot of work. And by the end of the day, you're exhausted. So 
Uh, I think that fatigue ended up causing me to be lazy some days where, you know, you don't want to do the whole process perfectly and you take shortcuts. But if there was an automating system, uh, if I had a background in that, I think I could have done even better than I did. But yeah. uh, no background really for me in that. Okay. So would you call yourself an 80 hours a week? That's, that's a big talking point is, you know, the uh, Chess is Okay brought up the idea of, he said he worked 80 hours a week on DFS. And it's been some DFS pros have been like, yeah, that's totally reasonable if you're doing all of your own stuff. Uh, and then others say, you know, I don't think it's really necessary to work that much. Where, where do you think you fall on that spectrum? Do you think you're closer to the 80 hours a week kind of player? 80 hours a week. How many hours is that a day? That's like, that's a lot. That's 13 hours a day almost or more. 11. So, I mean, yeah. if you're working seven hours a week, it's a little bit under 12. Right. So seven days a week is a little under 12, but yeah, that's, I don't do that much. Like that's, I do work more than most people. Like uh, for an NBA slate, I'm probably doing four to five hours of work when I'm doing it properly. Like there's days where I'm like, you know, the dog days of January and February where you kind of, you know, this guy's out, I know what this guy's going to do, and you can kind of speed it all up. So I range anywhere from like an hour to four or five hours, uh, honestly, depending on the magnitude of the slate. Like if I know tonight's a millionaire maker, tonight's like a, a big qualifier, or something where I need to win, or I'm scaling up my action because I like something, uh, I'm going to research a lot harder. Um, but no, 80 hours is that's tough. Like you have to find, it's hard to find a balance in DFS, but if you're working that much, like uh, I think other aspects of your life are going to suffer, uh, including like your health. Uh, it's not healthy to stare at a screen that long. You're going to probably have bad eating habits because, you know, you're getting takeout or delivery. So uh, no, I don't think, I wouldn't advise anyone to work that hard. I would honestly say if you're working that hard, take at least a day or two off each week. Yeah. It's, it's not a healthy way to approach DFS in my opinion anyway. I'm sure some people have better tolerance for it. Yeah, I, I, I fall more on your end of the spectrum too. I don't put in nearly that many hours. And for me, at least that's partially because I have tools available. Other people are putting in the work for me, so I don't feel the need to do it. But I know, I think some originators feel feel more the need to work more hours because they're putting in doing all of the work themselves. So it's, it's an interesting quandary. And then you and then I'm always like, well, what about watching games and like, you know, mm -hmm. tracking for late swap? Is that is that work? You know, those three hours after lock that I have to be, you know, close enough to a computer to make changes if need be or, you know, when, when new information comes out. So I don't know how, how you really quantify it, but uh, it's always an interesting conversation to hear kind of how much work people are putting in to make, you know, significant amounts of money. Um, anyway, go, going back. So uh, we, we talked about this a little bit, but uh, I'll let you start fresh. Uh, approximately when did you start getting involved with DFS and what drew you in? Um, all right. So I remember it was grade 12 in high school. I was sitting in the back of my class, not listening, playing games, scrolling Facebook. I saw an ad uh, from Matthew Berry advertising draftstreet.com. It said, click this link and you get to join a free roll. And I was underage at the time. You had to be 18. So I joined. I put my dad's name in, uh, played a free roll, did terribly. It was, and it was during school. It was like a Thanksgiving one in Canada. We don't have uh, U.S. Thanksgiving. So I remember I was just sitting in class watching uh, a Detroit Lions annual 12.30 p.m. loss. And I was just, I was like, man, this is awesome. Like I built a lineup. You're looking at all the prices. It just felt different. And I always loved sports and fantasy sports, but I really enjoyed it. Like to me, it was a game, right? So I, um, I really just thought of it as like, instead of playing video games, I should do this. So I would join like the free contests on Draft Street before DraftKings bought them out. 
and they would pay out like street credits, like 50 or 60. And then if you got to like three or 4,000, you could buy like. Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com renew to learn more. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. $2 worth of a ticket. And I remember I actually won enough to buy $2 and join my first contest when I was 18. I probably lost. I don't remember, but like, I just loved it. So it didn't feel like, I'm sure some people are like, why the hell would you do that? That's such a waste of time. But like, to me, it was just, it was just something to do, especially during school when I'm not paying attention to the teacher as much as I should have been. And then, you know, just build a lineup. You have fun with it. Uh, you know, I wouldn't watch the games intently, but uh, they'd have free rolls for money sometimes. And, you know, I just kind of grew from there and I had a passion for it, but I wanted to start playing for money. So uh, Roto Grinders, um, they used to have a blog program where if you won Blogger of the Month, you would get $100 sent to you. And so I was saying, great, I'm going to go blog, I'll write my picks, and hopefully I'll get money sent to me that I can use to play on here. Because, you know, I, I didn't have money as a student, and I just said, like, that I'm not going to, like, put myself in debt to do this hobby because then it won't be fun. And so I, you know, I'd use their money and I, I think I won like six times in a row because I would write like hockey picks, baseball picks, and I would try hard. Like I, I enjoyed writing. And then they ended up hiring me as a, someone to do shows for them. It was me and Emac who I finally met for the first time in like uh, in March or whenever the NBA final was, March or April in Nashville. So that was cool to meet him. It was like a throwback. So I'd do, I was doing those shows and I was writing baseball picks and stuff. And, you know, like I, I knew my stuff, but like, I'm sure people now would be like, wow, he was giving advice and he wasn't really playing. But I mean, I, I wanted to play. So I was doing that as a means to it. And I was trying really hard at it. And then eventually, like, you know, I wasn't great at it at the beginning, but I kept learning and learning. And then I started getting frustrated because I wasn't getting the results. I was like losing. I was breaking even. I was winning a bit. But I could never get that breakthrough. Like I wanted to be playing in that next level of games, you know, like everyone no matter what tier you're in, you kind of want to be in the next one, right? Like you're thinking, I want to move up to that tournament or if I could have joined that, I could have won that. But anyway, uh, I finally, before school started in my last year, I, I told Roto Grinders that I didn't have time to do the work anymore because uh, of my program, I have to focus on it. So I said, you know what, I'm going to put this money in 
that they gave me. And if I lose it, I'm going to just walk away from this because it was starting to, you know, negatively impact my grades. And it wasn't, I wasn't having the substantial results. And then for whatever reason, I just got on a hot streak after that. Like it was literally, I think 5,000 or a thousand that I put in and it just grew exponentially over like three or four months. And then I had a big hit in NBA, like I think February, 2016 or January, 2016. And then from there, it just took off. I never looked back. So I think, I think once you lose a little bit and you kind of go through the ups and downs and like, you're either going to go one of two ways. You're going to just say this, I've had enough. I'm going to stop. Uh, I guess the third way is you keep losing and that's, <laughs> that's not a good option. If you've got the money to do that. Exactly. Yeah. And I didn't, so I would have stopped. Yeah. And then the third option is eventually you break through and you start doing it for real. And luckily for me, I got hot at the right time. So, and that was around 2016, you said, is when you started to kind of get yeah. hot and get better at DFS? Yeah, 2015, 2016. I was always decent, but like when you're playing like $50, it's, it, you know, it's hard to come in first place, like no matter how good you are. So I'd, you know, I'd win here and there, but I was never like, never anything substantial. But uh, finally, I had that breakthrough that I'd been working for. And honestly, when you work for something that hard and then you finally break through, the feeling is like, it's a lot better than if you just got lucky the first few times you played because like you really understand what it takes to come in first and how much effort and time that, that goes into it beforehand. Yeah. I'm curious, you, you kind of alluded to this a little bit and it, I, I hadn't been planning on asking about this, but because you alluded to it, do you, do you have uh, an opinion on the skin in the game argument about like, Touts, people who are who are uh, giving out analysis about DFS. How uh, how strongly do you feel about whether uh, somebody needs to have skin in the game for their analysis to be kind of worthwhile to listen to? And and does that uh, whether you have the ability to have skin in the game does that affect your opinion there? Um, it really depends. I think I think there's usually a correlation where if someone is able to give good advice, they're usually able to sustain themselves. But, uh, you know, you'll see people who are, uh, you know, they seem qualified and then they're in like a one or two dollars of action. I'm like, well, if you're charging for this advice and you don't trust it yourself, either like, which is fine. Like, I, I don't recommend, let's say they're having financial difficulties in other areas. Like, you never know. Maybe they, I don't know. I can't, I can't think of a situation, but they need money for something else. And they can't. Medical issues or something. Yeah, exactly. That's a good example. So I'm not going to judge someone for that. But like, I tend to just listen to people without like saying, oh, this guy, without going ad hominem right away. Like I like to just hear the, their actual arguments and their process and judge from there. So I don't think you need skin in the game. I think uh, if you want to sell subscriptions, it helps, you know, people like screenshots. I, I think that's like the, that's the other end of the spectrum is I, I think that having skin in the game sometimes uh, can overvalidate certain touts. I'm not even saying anyone in particular. I'm just saying like they say, look, I won this a year ago. I'm, I'm a $100,000 winner. You should listen to my picks. And then they're like, you know, they're just not great or they're, they're losing yeah. money lifetime. And that was a, that was yeah. a recent topic in the, the DFS newsletter. It's a Twitter account put out uh, mm -hmm. that a lot of people put out these big screenshots. But then if you look at the volume that they play, they're, they might be losing players and still have these $100,000 screenshots from time to time. And you have to think about how frequently are those $100 screenshots coming out relative to, you know, the amount that they're playing. And it's true. It's, it's a valid, uh, it's a valid concern because sometimes people play so much money that, you know, $100,000 isn't actually enough to sustain them. 
uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a question that I, I think about regularly. Like, it, does it matter? And I, I think it matters to some extent. I think it, uh, it validates people's opinions if they do have skin in the game and if they are winning. Uh, but I think on the other hand, it doesn't necessarily invalidate somebody's opinion because they don't have skin in the game because there are so many, you know, valid reasons for people to not have skin in the game as well. Um, but just thought I should bring it up because you, you brought up the fact that you were writing without really having skin in the game. So you were kind yeah. of in that situation at one point and it's because you didn't right. have the means at that point to enter the contest yet. Uh, sure. So, okay. No, um, I think I think it would concern me if someone used to have a skin in the game and then they stopped playing and they didn't really have a reason why, because usually that, I, I think it's a little unethical to lead people on and say, look at this screenshot and then buy my picks when they're losing players and they're using subscription money to like fund their addiction. Yep. <laughs> Which is really what it is. It's not like a, it's no real way to sugarcoat it, but you know, there's probably people who do that. And I don't think it's, I don't think that's right, but uh, you know, it's also up to the consumer to look a little deeper into it and not expect like to just, uh, you know, win a hundred thousand dollars because they're buying someone's picks who won a year ago and like NASCAR or something or golf, something random. Yep. I think, I think uh, you would probably agree with me that buying somebody's picks is just generally not a good strategy. Uh, maybe listen to people for their general strategy advice and, you know, other times, types of advice, but buying picks is usually not the best, the best way to win. Um, it also occurred to me that you probably didn't think of medical expenses because you live in Canada as being a reason that somebody would uh, need to stop playing DFS. Cause in Canada, you don't really have to worry about that quite as much as we do here in the U S um, yeah, it depends on the on the issue. Like, there's still some things that we would have to pay for, but yeah, <laughs> thought too in much into that. Yeah, you're right, though. <laughs> All right. Uh, in which sport or sports do you think you have the biggest edge? Um, I would I would definitely say basketball. Basketball, like not just NBA. I do every basketball because I think the sport itself is the best for DFS. Uh, I know everyone says this, it's like by far the most predictive, it's everyone's best sport, but like, I think that like, there's just so much room for people to improve rather than just, you know, playing the optimal one or just like fading chalk just to fade it. Like, I think there's so much edge when you like really get into basketball and I think it really shines through in like other leagues. Like when I bet on the Olympics and FIBA basketball, which is like the tournament every few years. And even WNBA for a while before that got like either you're playing a shark or you're not playing anyone uh, before that was really shark infested like all those leagues like the edge on that if you really dig in it's crazy like I can't think of like many analogies but like I'll think of one it would be like 50% of the field playing uh let's say Russell Westbrook when he's not playing like stuff like that would happen like that wow. Like people are bad at it. They don't know how to get the lineups. They like that's all you need. You just need to not be bad, right? You don't have to be great versus good. You just have to be competent versus terrible, which is a much better way to sustain uh, ROI. But even NBA, I feel that is by far my best one. And without it, I don't think I would be playing DFS because the other sports, I'm kind of I tread water in them, and I, you know, I break even. I win a little, lose a little. But I, you don't, I don't go in with the same feeling to those. Like, I feel like something has to go wrong for me to lose an NBA on a given slate, whereas uh, I need a lot of things to go right to win, let's say, in football or hockey or golf or whatever. Like, you, you just feel like you're relying too much on good fortune in the, in the other sports. 
uh, with all the variance that is involved with them. Whereas NBA, I'm just like, okay, you don't foul, you don't get ejected, you, no one gets hurt, no blowouts, and we're good. Like we've, I feel like I've kind of mastered basketball in that sense. I mean, everyone will say the same, but I feel like I've gotten on another level in basketball that I haven't found in any other sport. I don't think everybody. I don't think everybody will say the same. I think that there are people who are really good at NBA and sports that are more predictive, but I think there are people who kind of uh, do better with the chaos of like baseball, where it's like you know nobody knows what's going to happen, but people are overconfident in what they think is going to happen. I think I, I think that NBA is a pretty unique sport in how predictive it is and how good the projections are. So I. I might call NBA my like long-term most consistently good sport at this point, I guess it would have to be football, but, uh, but I think there are a lot of people who would say a lot of people on the show have said like baseball is their best sport. And it's because baseball is, you know, more chaotic and people don't factor in how chaotic it is enough. So I, I think that it's, you know, it's not, it's not everybody's best sport. I think that is uh, unique to you. And I think your, your results uh, would also probably suggest, I mean, you've obviously done really well in football too, but I, I think NBA is what I've always thought of you as, as Bill's fan 777 is uh, a name that I see at the top of NBA leaderboards first and foremost. Uh, so I think that for, for you, that would be my first thought as well. Uh, do you think you have a bigger edge in NBA or in WNBA or like EuroLeague? Um, I would say my biggest edge would be probably in order like EuroLeague slash like Olympic slash FIBA, like all those like where the European players are playing because I know all those players. Like I know what they're good at. I, I know which roles they thrive in. I can almost perfectly project their uh, fantasy points per minute based on who's starting in the lineup with them. Like I've gotten to the point in EuroLeague and and Olympics where like it's equivalent knowledge for me as NBA and the field is so bad in that, whereas the field may be good, but actually the WNBA field is pretty sharp and sort of, I kind of started getting into that, but I didn't really explain it. Like if I'm going to play a WNBA slate and I want volume, I usually have to play, I think it's FJ Bourne. And there's a few other guys who like, sometimes I'll open the contest and we have the same six players. I'm like, Oh, all right. I have nothing to watch now. And, you know, the tournaments are like $100 and eight people. And you go in, everyone has like four of the same players. And like, you just need your one player to go off. And I'm like, you know what, there's really no edge in this anymore. Uh, but if I was playing like a total noob, I would say NBA would be the best one. But I think that goes for most players because you would just have to put in just like 70% accurate projections and you'd be able to smoke someone who's new at it. But yeah, I'd say my biggest edge is like Olympics and FIBA and then NBA and then WNBA is probably the last one because I don't have a lot harder time following that league just because it's not as exciting for obvious reasons, I guess. I mean, yeah, for me, it's just the because they don't have DFS contests. Like, I feel like I could get into, I, I would get super into like the WNBA and these other leagues if they just had bigger prize pools and DFS. It's harder for me to get as excited about it if I can't put as much money in. What about, uh, what about stakes? Are you, uh, do you consider yourself a high stakes player? Uh, would you say you're better at high stakes than like the, the large field stuff or where would you say your, your best edge is? Uh, I would say in NBA, I'm better at high stakes because the field is so predictable in that like when you look in like the 50 and dollar tournament let's say that's like 15 18 10 whatever size it is like you know that the chalk plays are going to be lower owned in that than they will be in like the 300 or 600 or 700 dollar tournament and it makes it so to the point where like if you just spam chalk in that and the sorry if you spam good chalk in that like and you just 
you know, you don't even put much thought into your 150 entries, you'll probably like break even or make a little profit. And once in a while, you'll have a lineup that kind of shoots up. Um, that's not usually how I approach it, but like, I think I'm good at both, but I really enjoy uh, like building a single entry and like the high stakes stuff because I almost enjoy like predicting what my opponents will have, trying to find red flags in the chalk and then trying to, you know, dig through let's say eight or nine games and find one player who I say that projection is completely wrong on every site and I'm going to use them and they're going to be my little own guy. So I feel like in NBA, I'm really good at finding like the, the leverage play that not many people are talking about. And therefore that makes me enjoy the big field more because that's really all you need. You like all the chalk can hit and you get your one guy that hits and you're going to have like the perfect combination of a lineup because no one else is going to have that one player. So I think the upside is greater, whereas let's say you use that guy in the big tournament, he might be three or 4% owned and there might be some other level owned guy that someone has. So it's harder to come in first, I think, in the cheaper ones. But I think I'm, I've done really well in both of them, to be honest. But if I had to pick one, it would be a single entry uh, in high stakes. Just in terms of your, your enjoyment of it, you think you enjoy high stakes more so than large field? Did you miss your deadline to renew your Medicaid coverage? You can still send your completed annual review form to Healthy Connections Medicaid. You may be assigned to another health plan, but you can ask to come back to First Choice within 60 days of renewed Medicaid eligibility. It's your family. It's your choice. First Choice is the right choice. Renew and choose us. Visit selecthealthofsc.com renew to learn more. For the best TV viewing experience, witness the coziest maroons, the most vibrant and brightest moons, the eeriest and darkest tombs, and radiant and vivid hues in any type of room with the Neo QLED and OLED TVs by Samsung. We're supposed to say Samsung, but that didn't rhyme, so <laughs> you're welcome. Samsung, more wow than ever. Yeah, I think it's sort of like... It's yeah, it's more fun, and I feel like you have a better chance at winning big when your opponents are really predictable. And like in low stakes, like thirty percent of the field, you don't know what they're gonna. Some random lineup with like Aaron Gordon or you know just guys like that who just you have no way of predicting, and they just randomly go nuts. Like there's always someone who's gonna have that player, whereas you don't really have to worry about the variance as much. And I'm talking like the twenty man fields that are like two thousand buy in, or even like one hundred man fields. Like, you don't have to worry about those players as much because, yeah. like, they're just – no one's going to use them. And if one person uses them, like, you could still overcome that. So it, it's just – you have a better chance of winning big, I think, in those. I like that you threw out Aaron Gordon. That just felt very specific to me. Like, you have a slate in mind where Aaron Gordon put up, like, 60 fantasy points. I think he did pretty late this last year, right? He had one, like, 60 – out of nowhere, like, 60 fantasy point game. He just does it randomly. Like when he was on Orlando, it made more sense because he was like basically their point guard for a while. Uh, I remember at a point in one season. But then yeah. on Denver, like he'll just randomly get like six putbacks one game when Jokic just double team. Like it's guys like that, like the mid-range guys who are like, they'll do it like once a month. Like I, I don't like dealing with those guys. Like I don't like the high standard deviation players. I like when they suck personally. And then 10% yeah. of the field is wiped out. Uh, like D'Angelo Russell's another name like that. Like guys like that, you usually just don't have to worry about as much in high stakes if you don't have them, because even if someone else has them, like they still have seven other players who have to beat yours. So it, I think it's just a lot more enjoyable. And I, I also think, let's say you beat 
like Moklovin or I'm not singling them out, like Beak Rider. If you beat one of them, you usually will beat all of them. Okay. So I like joining like three mans with those guys. Like uh, Yudikao, he plays a little different. He doesn't use like the optimal one or two or three. Like he sometimes has stuff that's unpredictable. So I don't like playing him uh, in three mans. But when you're playing the other big names, like I'm not even saying they're not good. I just know what I'm going up against. Like I, I know what their lineup is going to be beforehand and I evaluate it. And then I kind of go from there and decide if it's a worthwhile investment. So I really enjoy that mental aspect of like really playing my opponent just as much as I'm picking players in NBA. So yeah, uh, give me high stakes every day of the week. for. And do, do you play a lot of three mans and is it often like you and two other pros, if you're playing a, a higher stakes three man, is that a common thing? Yeah, it's very common. I like to join them only on slates where I know like this chalk player that I'm not going to have that I have red flags on is going to be owned by like one or both of them. Okay. So I like to like, I usually find that almost every slate. So I, by 6.30 Eastern time, I've convinced myself I have the greatest lineup ever created. So I'm like, all right, I don't care what the chalk is. I'm going in with this and I'm going to try and beat them. And yeah, so I, I like joining them. Because, like I said, usually when you beat one, you beat both of them. And when they beat you, you lose. You just have to win, like, uh, 40% of the time or so. And then you're going to profit in those. I like the confidence. I, I would never, if I saw two pros in a, in a three-man, I would be like, I'm just not going to enter that contest. Uh, yeah. I'm guessing that they don't love seeing your name then if you're uh, playing a little bit unique and playing different than the way both of them are playing. Yeah. It's probably not their favorite thing to see. Season, maybe this season they didn't mind because I didn't do as great in the second half of this year. But um, I would say, like, I think they don't like the unpredictability. I think they like to know what they're going up against, whereas yeah. I'm, I'm going to use a player. I'm going to use – it's almost part of my strategy. Like, I want to find low-owned guys, but not just for leverage. Like, I want good leverage. Like, I want low-owned guys who I think are better plays than the chalk, ignoring ownership. So when I'm doing that, I think they – it could be a harder time for them to adjust. And I actually recommend it to players – to play sharks and head to heads and in three mans, because if let's say I don't know what stake you play, but or whoever's listening to this, if you take a $215 head to head and you figure out what source, let's say a top player is getting his lineups from and what his projections, if you know what their lineup is going to be, you have an advantage on them because you can edit your lineup after it starts. And I guarantee you, these guys aren't going through their. $215 head-to-heads against random nobodies who like, you know, he's not gonna, like, this guy's playing like hundreds of thousands of dollars a night. So he's not going to open each head-to-head. He'd go crazy. And, you know, you just have to like kind of edit from there and you can probably beat them a good amount of time. I mean, it didn't work for me, but like uh, when I was playing Mo Glovin, I was playing him a lot actually head-to-head. And I'm not going to lie, like he, he beat me over the season. Uh, but it took a while for him to start editing the head to heads and actually like blocking my players when I had a chance to catch up. But at the beginning I was noticing and like, I was testing it in lower stakes. He wasn't editing it. Like, so if I was beating him, I would sometimes leave 2000 and just switch to his player and just block him. And that was it. So um, I, I think you can get a really good edge on that. Whereas if you're playing uh, a random, he's probably going to follow the head to head the whole night and try and keep up, or maybe I'm overestimating <laughs> Uh, probably field. probably somewhat overestimating but a good random for sure will exactly so uh, yeah if you see someone posting like five thousand and two thousand and one thousand head to heads like take a fifty dollar game from them they're not even going to open it and you can really uh give yourself an advantage with late swap um 
if you figure out where they're getting their lineups from. So you say that Mach Lovin started uh, making adjustments to try to block you later on in the mm -hmm. year. Uh, yeah. Do you think that, was that only in higher stakes stuff or was he doing that like universally? Do you think that's something that oh, he started kind of fixed part of his process? I started playing him in higher stakes. Okay. So you probably, once I reached a certain tier, he probably said, all right, I got to pay attention to this. Yeah. Because I know he plays like every slate, every site. It's crazy. Like I admire how much work he puts in. Like I, I'm, Pretty much during the season, I'm like DraftKings only, main slate, maybe play a turbo or late slate if I really like a player and I don't feel I have enough leverage on him on the main slate. But like he, he's probably a busy guy. Like he's got to edit so much that uh, I think once you get to a certain range, he starts to edit. Sorry, I live next to a school. There's a, we can pause for a second. Let me take a minute away from this conversation with Warren Kosoy to remind you to give us a like and subscribe so you can keep up with all of our shows, DFS offers, giveaways, and much more. Once you subscribe, hit that notification button to get alerts when our shows go live. Be sure to also check out our monthly podcast giveaway. Just subscribe to our podcast channel and leave a five-star review with your Stochastic username or Twitter handle to be entered to win a free month of Stochastic Plus Platinum. Okay. So in, in different stakes, it's definitely a, a different yeah. approach, which makes sense. I mean, that's that is the way that I, you know, would would probably play it. Is I would pay attention to my high stakes. Line. I mean, I guess that is the way that I play it. Like in on NFL Sunday, I don't do like three mans or head to heads, but I definitely I'm not editing each and every one of my lineups. But if I am playing high stakes on a given day, I'm going to be paying more attention to swaps that I need to make late. So uh, it would make sense that if he's just using late swap in those higher stakes fields. Um, I'd like to get into your, your process a little bit because you, you've talked about finding unique players uh, in, in NBA and finding an edge that way. It sounds like, in, in some ways, it sounds a little bit like petty theft, the way his approach is, is you know, really being uh, invested in basketball and tracking it closely and kind of being able to, to find places where he thinks projections are wrong. Uh, mm -hmm. So it sounds like you're a little bit similar, but I, I want to hear if that is, if, if I'm getting the right read on this or if there's something else going on with your process. So let's talk about that a little bit. Uh, let's start here. Do you do any simulations or... Uh, do you do any simulations or use simulations from outside sources as part of your process? I do not. This will sound like a little arrogant, but I, I simulate a lot in my head. So I know basically if a game is scripted a certain way, I know who it's going to benefit. And I kind of adjust projections. And let's say I think there's like a 15 point spread. I'm going to project that game for a blowout. But I'm like, I do it kind of uniquely. Like I, I kind of project shift by shift. It's like I know who's playing first quarter when they sub out, second quarter when they sub out. And it takes a while, but you only have to do the first and second quarter and then multiply by two because coaches are going to repeat their first half rotation with the second half. So I'm basically just trying to figure out who's going to handle the ball in certain shifts. I go through court IQ. I try and find the fantasy points per minute, and I try and make sure they're sustainable fantasy points per minute. So like you know, you're going to get small samples when you're doing what I do. So I make sure someone doesn't average like six steals per 36 or they're shooting like 80% threes in a hundred minutes or something weird. Just so that, because I think people sometimes don't analyze the on-off stats properly. They're like, oh, this guy's 1.1 per minute with this guy out. I'm like, yeah, but look, he is average. Is this guy being out suddenly make this guy like the greatest stealer in NBA history? Uh, you know, you know what I mean? Like you have to like actually analyze the data it can't just be the final number so i'm always going through that i'm looking at like fantasy points per minute looking at usage shot attempts assist rate so like if a guard is going to have increased ball handling duties i want to like neutralize the rebounds and blocks and like stuff like that that isn't really impacted 
And I just want to pay attention to potential assists, actual assists, uh, usage rate, field goal percentage, like uh, just the difference between with or without them. And I want to see how efficient they are if the sample is really big. So, you know, like I can go on and on. And I do this for each individual player, honestly. Like there's certain players who, if you give them too much of a rule, they actually start to struggle because they're not good enough to create their own offense. So like an example of that might be like, uh, I hate I hate insulting him because I love him. But like Kyle Lowry, he's like a Toronto legend. Yeah. But when he's on Miami and let's say, let's say Jimmy Butler and Bam are out. And let's just say for your argument's sake, Tyler Hero's out and Lowry's going to be asked to, carry the load of the offense. You know what? I'm not, I'm not going to insult Kyle Lowry. I'm going to switch to Mike Conley on Utah. And let's right. say he has to carry the load of the offense with uh, Donovan Mitchell and Clarkson out. Like, how efficient is he really going to be at this point in his career uh, with defenses, like making him the primary focus? So pretty much every player I have like my own situation for. But one thing I really try and figure out are minutes errors. Because I think that's where projections are wrong the most. Mm-hmm. Um, and by doing that, I look at the first half and sec or sorry, first quarter and second quarter minutes, usually multiply by two, unless it's a veteran, I'll usually multiply by two and add a couple of minutes because a lot of teams like to backload minutes on older guys, just in case they get blown out, the player doesn't get overworked. Mm-hmm. So if a player is playing 18 first quarter minutes, like six games in a row, and then, or not first quarter, first half, first half. Um, let's say there's four blowouts, one of them, he got his third foul with five minutes left in the second quarter. And one of them, I don't know, something happened where he, he did something stupid and he got benched. Uh, suddenly I'll say, well, like he was intended 36 minutes. No coach plays a guy 18 first, co- first half minutes and then like 12 second. And then I'll see the projection sites will say, oh, we're projecting him for 30 or 31 minutes. I'll say, no, I'm, I'm doing 36. Like I get that it hasn't happened six games in a row, but I basically do like ceiling medians. So like, I'm pretty much projecting guys to get like the most minutes that they can possibly get and then going from there. Because I think a lot of the times the sites will overreact to like the last three or four games. They're like, well, this guy played 30, so he's going to play 30 tonight. It's usually wrong and it sounds insignificant, but if you add six minutes and let's say it's a star player, like one and a half per minute, that's nine fantasy points wrong on the projection. So. That's enormous. Yeah. So, so, so you don't do your own simulations, but you do kind of do your own uh, projections. Do you do that? Do you do your own projections from scratch, or are you, you know, using uh, a site's project, somebody else's projections as a baseline, and then adjusting where you think they're wrong? Yeah, I use like I use Roto Grinders because I like their lineup builder, and you know, I don't think their projections are bad. I don't think they're great, but like you know. For most players in the league, I don't have to do this process because most players in the league aren't in play, most slates. Like, I don't care if, like, campaign is projected to get 17 or 20 minutes. Like, he's probably a bad play regardless, even if he's, you know, projected to get 5x instead of 4.5. So, like, you know, I'll do it for – because in my head, I can kind of just tell you who's a good play most nights. Like, I can just look at it and say, all right, here's, like, 30 or 40 guys – and then I try and narrow it down. And then I look team by team. And once in a while, you're just going to find some random guy who's underpriced. And, you know, the minutes have been unfortunate, like five or six games in a row. And suddenly, like, I have a 1% owned guy who, if I don't change anything, I'll get 100% of them. And I'll say, wow, like, that's, it's crazy to get that, where the only thing I need to happen is that he plays his regular allotment of minutes that he's supposed to play. And... 
if you can get that kind of leverage, it's, it's pretty wild. And you can find it almost every single night in NBA. I'll say that. But it takes a lot of work. And some nights you're going to go through each game and you're going to be like, damn, the projections are all correct. And these optimal lineups are pretty good. And on those nights, I like to just uh, kind of throw the chalk. And like, going back to what I said earlier, it's where I say when the chalk is good, I'll just spam it and throw it in like the $15 tournament, build 150 entries. But that's why I like the high stakes better is most nights the chalk is pretty good, but there's usually like at least three or four guys you can find that are being completely projected wrong. And, you know, once you have a couple of guys different, like your lineups become totally unique. Like no one is going to have those players. And let's say you have two of them in a lineup, people are going to be like, how did you think to pick those? And it's like, well, he's just going to play his normal minutes, hopefully, and then that'll work. Um, so, yeah, you just have to really dig in, and it takes a while, but I swear, once you find that player, like, kind of a light bulb flickers, you're like, that's the guy. It's like, this is the guy I'm relying on tonight. So you say that uh, you then, in that situation, when you find that guy, oftentimes you'll get to 100% of him in your lineups based on your projections mm -hmm. if you don't change anything. How often do you just let it ride and just and say, I'm going to go with 100% of this guy? Or how often, or, or, or do you make big changes because you don't want to take on the risk of playing 100% of one guy? What, what's your kind of process? Once you find that guy and you know, okay, the sites are under projecting him, I think that he's going to do a lot better. Uh, what, what's your process for deciding just to let it ride, lock him in, or make changes there? That depends. Usually I don't want to, like, usually I don't want 100% of anyone because that would kind of infer that he's got no chance of failing. Uh, it also depends on the type of player. Like if it's someone like... Uh... Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. A good example is like Danilo Gallinari, where Atlanta would like kind of baby him, whereas if they were out of the game or they were winning... Uh, he barely, he played a lot less in the second half, but I like to use him in games where, um, you know, they're underdogs, they're going to need offense in the second half. Uh, and so his minutes are being under projected, just, just a very rough example, obviously, we're not in the thick of basketball season. So if it's someone like that, who's more of a value play, I definitely don't want to go overboard, but if he's projected at like two to 3% owned, I'd like to kind of get to, you know, at least. 30 or 40 like I don't mind going that high if I, if I like a pick I like a pick but I also you know I want exposure to like 
25 or 30 guys at minimum. And then like, I don't X anyone. I just kind of let the lineups build themselves. So if I get like 1% of a play, I'm like, you know what? This lineup's good. And maybe like that random variation where he just has an off game or he goes off and I have him in that one lineup. Maybe it's like all my core picks do well and this guy I underprojected. At least I'll have him somewhere. You know, like I, I don't agree with like just Xing a player because you never know. Like you might get 3% of them and that 3% might be like the four best lineups on the site. So uh, I kind of do, I kind of mix like gut feeling and just depending on the type of player it is, like if it's a hit or miss guy, someone who's relies on three point shooting more. But if it's someone who like gets rebounds, assists, steals, blocks, like a five stack category guy, and I have them playing like six or seven extra minutes, I'm just going to let them ride. Like I'll play them as much as the sites give me. Okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm sort of the same way with X and X because my, my thought process is always, well, what if I get everything else right? But Xing out this player was the one wrong thing I did. I'm like, I got everything else right on this slate and messed up this one thing and it kills all my lineup. So I I definitely have, a, I struggle with Xing players out. I rarely do it. I did it in golf today, but uh, most often I'm not going to be Xing out any players. Um, what about ownership projections? Do you, do you create your own ownership projections or you just use uh, something from the sites? I usually just trust the, uh, the sites. For a sport like basketball, I kind of have a different process than I do for others. Like in UFC, I kind of, uh, in the chat, we're in, I kind of adapted because I realized these guys were right. Like you can't have duplicated lineups in UFC. It, yeah. You can have some, but like, I mean, you probably want like half your lineups to be completely unique, even if they're a bit outlandish because you don't want your ceiling to be, you know, winning 10x your buy-in. Um, so in those sports, I really value ownership. Like golf, I don't really care because like everyone's, it's all so spread out. It's just all so random that I, I don't really, you don't really even need ownership projections. Like it's kind of hard to build a duplicated lineup in golf, but uh, it depends. I mean, if you're playing all the 20% owned guys, then yeah. But like if you have, usually yeah. I have like some of my moron plays that are like 1% owned. And this is why I lose in golf. Right. It's hard if you come from a GPP or mindset to, to create uh, lineups that get duped a lot in golf. But I mean, you see people every week, there are some, some players who every week have, you know, half their lineups are duplicated. So kind of, kind of depends on how you play and how off the, off the board you get. But I think you probably come from the, the GPP or mindset. We're going to take some shots on guys that maybe other people aren't. And I'm kind of the same way. I don't think I, yeah. I worry, have to worry that much about being duplicated in a sport like golf, but I'm still, I still do concern myself with ownership just because it's easier to get, you know, more unique, uh, the more, uh, the more you factor in ownership. But so, so you, you say that you do factor in ownership on, in some sports, but uh, some sports you just don't even, you don't even factor it in. And like golf, it's not something that, you know, is part of your process. No, not in golf, but I don't think anyone should listen to me for golf advice. I'm pretty but bad. For, for NBA though. I mean, I, I think people should be listening to you for NBA for sure. Uh, yeah. Is ownership a big part of, uh, your process in NBA, or do you think because you are doing your own projections? I mean, this is this is a conversation that I had with Petty. Is that uh, he, you know, because he's doing his own pretty unique projections, he's putting a lot of work into them. He doesn't have to worry about ownership as much. Or would you say that you're more in that camp where it's like yeah, I'm unique I, enough in my projections, I don't have to worry about it? I agree, and it, it sort of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with like the three mans and um, you know just my contest selection, where if my projections are completely overlapping like the big sites, then it, it changes my contest selection. So I'm never going to pick players that I think are worse than someone else to get ownership leverage in basketball. 
I'm going to change my contest selection because there's certain nights where you can't force it. Like you can't, you know, join a three man against someone when you know you're going to have like one player different. And then at that point, it's just bad for both of you. Like, like he's probably going to be pissed that I joined and I'm going to be mad that I joined him. And whoever, you know, whoever's last guy in does better wins. So that I try to avoid, but I do look at ownership a lot, but I don't like in basketball. I never prioritize who I'm picking based on who's higher or lower owned. I will say if I have a tie and like I have this, you know, six minute incorrect projection guy who's projected 1% versus the huge chalk guy as a last guy in, I'm going to take the lower owned guy, but I'm not like fading 50% owned guys just because they're high owned. Like I don't believe in that. Like sometimes they're the right play and they're 50% owned for a reason. So you really have to find a balance. Like you don't want your lineups to be, you know, especially in NBA, even in NBA cash, you don't want your lineups to be like 70%, 80%, 90%. Cause if one thing goes wrong, you have no leverage to make up for it. And then you're going to be tied with people. So you're going to have to have like a top 30% lineup just to get into double ups. Like it's stupid. Like I, I don't agree with playing uh, just the high owned guys just because it's cash. I think that's just bad for everyone. So just that's play, interesting. play the best lineup, no matter what it is. Like I'll, I've come first in double ups in NBA so many times just by myself. And because, you know, you're beating a train of 100 people who all think, well, I have to go the safe route here. It's like, no, that's not safe. That's actually riskier because you have to have a better lineup than everyone still because other people are using your projections. So if I have my own and they're different, I'm like, cool, I'm going to roll with those. And I prefer when I have low own guys, but some slates, you can't really force it. That, so so that, that's a really interesting thought because I, so I, I don't play cash. And I, but I've always kind of questioned that idea. People say, well, just play the chalkiest lineup. You, you want the chalkiest guys in cash because then I'm like, well, then aren't you just going to lose to rake over time if you're playing the same plays as everybody else? Uh, so I've, that's part of the reason I don't play cash is because I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense to me. But I also like, because I, I do use public projections. I'm not doing my own projections. I do, I make adjustments to projections. I make, you know, kind of, kind of a lot, but you, I'm not doing what you're doing, which is going into, you know, the popcorn machine or whatever, lo looking at the rotations closely to try to figure out what, uh, who I actually think should be projected differently. For me, it is, it's based on ownership is how I change the projections uh, more so than just my actual belief in minutes and stuff. Uh, but for you then, so. I feel like that makes sense, especially for you, because you're doing your own projections. Like, don't play the most owned guy just because he's the most owned. But uh, you, you, because you're doing your own projections, you can just play the highest projected players, and that's not necessarily the most owned. Am, am I getting that right? Like, so, so you, for you, you're just you are playing your highest projected lineup in cash. It's just you're not forcing in over owned guys, uh, high owned guys, just because they're high owned. Is that essentially correct? Right. And so I remember actually in this chat we're in, we got into a debate once. I'm sure if they watch this, they'll chuckle or maybe get mad at me for bringing it up. But uh, Cade Cunningham was like 4,000 at the beginning of the year on DraftKings. And I think it was on like a 25 or 30 minute limit. And I remember writing, I said, he's going to be an 8K player. Even though he's losing a bit, he's going to be chalk. And they said, well, he's 40 or 50% owned. I said, I don't care. Like, I'm using him in 100% of my lineups because I think he's the right play and I, I mean I didn't click the lock button he's just he projected so much better than everyone and I think my fantasy points per minute were with him were like I was a little above what he ended up being for the season so I was a little I probably would have like used like 80 or 90 percent instead if I could go back in time but like a lot of people in that chat were fading him just saying hey we don't want to use him because everyone else has him 
And I don't, I don't believe in that. Like, I think if he's the right pick, I don't want to give other people leverage that they have better projected plays than I do when there's already variance in the sport. Like, I don't want to rely on someone else who's 4K, like Danny Green, going seven for eight on three-pointers. And then at that point, you would probably just want to have both of them. So, right. like, it, it's just, it doesn't, that sort of theory of just, like, playing a low-owned guy just to play him, I, I don't buy into that, in NBA at least. Yeah. Well, I, I think NBA in particular is a sport where it often makes sense to have a guy that's 50% owned or sometimes even like 95% owned like that. You know, some, sometimes if he's not 100% owned, he's not owned enough. Like there are, there are those situations in NBA, whereas I feel like that kind of logic is, is more applicable generally in like baseball, where it's like yes, generally most often if a stack is 20% owned, it's too high owned. That's not always the case, but most of the time if they're, you know, 20% owned on a stack, that is too high owned or 40% on a batter that's too high owned in baseball, but in basketball, it's completely different. And I think sometimes there are people who struggle with, you know, different sports being very different in how projectable they are. And yeah, for, for basketball in particular, it's like, it's a very projectable sport. And particularly, I mean, if you're, if you're doing what you're doing, which is uh, looking at the actual rotations, figuring out minutes, and, and if you're doing a better job of that, then everybody else is, uh, then yeah, it doesn't make any sense to, you know, switch things up based on uh Ownership. If 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 you're finding that a guy should be 80% owned, but 50% other you know seems too high, it doesn't make sense to fade him uh, yeah. if you're getting to higher than that naturally. Right. So yeah, I, I'm I'm with you on that. Yeah, because baseball, anything can happen. Like I don't, I didn't really play baseball the last few years, but like sometimes you know an ace will just start bad, and then by the eighth or ninth inning, like the backup catcher is throwing pitches. I'm like, you can't predict right. that. Like there's no. no simulation in the world that would predict that. So it's good to like just use like the one percent on stacks and just hope that because like you almost see it every night now like a, a catcher comes in to pitch yeah like they're throwing Way too often video, like a guy throwing like a 35 mile per hour like pitch i'm sure that that won someone money in dfs because uh whoever was batting just clobbered it yep. but uh that's yeah that's why baseball is just so much different and golf is like similar but there's just no correlation with golf to the point where right. like, you just need one level guy and you'll be unique in that sense but yeah yeah baseball and basketball just two completely different worlds and i struggle with the changeover too like uh but eventually i realized that you have to rely on randomness for your leverage and i kind of said i don't like relying on that too much i don't like baseball enough to justify not going to embrace the chaos exactly only golf that's the only one i can embrace it for for whatever reason okay i mean nfl so i mean you, you've done very well at nfl as well and that's pretty chaotic too yeah nfl i do a bit more like small slates the big slates i'm not gonna lie like uh before i had that really big week i think i lost like 11 out of 13 weeks like it was which is not uncommon even even for great players i mean i don't think yeah, that's yeah. i don't think that's weird yeah it happens like it's, some weeks it just didn't come together and you know some there's a lot of injuries and stuff so football like that's another sport like I, I think i'm decent at it but i just feel like there's just so much more i could know like even in basketball there's certain teams like i know what style of defense they play that kind of is uh you know it leads to certain prototypes doing well like there's a few teams that like to trap the other team's best player every possession and it leads to like the three and D guys getting like a ton of extra three point shots. So like Nick Nurse is still coaching the Raptors. So like next year, if you guys are watching this, like pay attention to those like stretch three slash stretch four guys who are like the benefit of 
um, like someone like Jay Crowder, I remember I locked him one night and people in that chat were annoyed because he was like a chalky play. But I like projected him way higher than everyone and he ended up like scoring like 20 something real points because every time Devin Booker had it, there were like two guys swarming him and the ball would swing around and Crowder's the worst shooter. So you get a three. Like I don't have that knowledge in football. Like I, I understand a little bit and I probably can have a conversation with like a football person and not sound like a moron, but like I can't, I can't lead the charge and explain what's going on on defense. So it's just a different world for me, but like it's still, still profitable if you can put in the work. But your screen name is Bills Fan Seven Seven Seven. I mean, you got to at least be somewhat of a football fan. You got to yeah. know something about football. Yeah. Well, when I started DFS, I knew the Bills sucked, so I just stacked against <laughs> them every week. That's all I needed to know. But so now, you're a fan of taking advantage of how bad they were. Yeah, I did that with the Leafs as well in hockey. Just stack against the Leafs every night. They give up like 40 shots. But yeah, being a, being a homer is way more beneficial when your team is either really good or really bad. Because you just sometimes you just have that feeling as a fan, like, oh, tonight's going to be just bad. <laughs> and I used, to, I used to know that with the, with the Leafs, for sure. It's a beautiful thing being a Timberwolves fan, too, in that sense. It's, you know, yeah. high, high, high pace. They don't uh, put up much effort on defense. So yeah. centers against Cat, a, a beautiful thing. Has been a beautiful thing for years. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's definitely something you can take advantage of when your team is not great. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. Let's talk about your so your, your NBA actual, like, game day process a little bit. We, we, we kind of talked about it a little bit. But, like, how long before the first game locks do you think you typically get started on a given NBA slate? Um, yeah, it kind of depends. It depends how burnt out I am, how big the slate is, how much I'm planning to play. But in the morning, I like to go through the minutes, kind of like we were talking about, see if there's mistakes. And if I find a lot of errors, then I, I register a lot. And if I can't find anything, I just register a little bit. And, you know, then there's going to be injuries. So I kind of do my initial projections. That way I don't get too emotionally biased. Because like I said, nothing I do is automated. So it's easy when I was younger, like I'd see news and I would just say, oh, I can't use this guy who I found out is the biggest projection error because you have to use this other guy. And then I'd be like, why did I switch him? You know what I mean? <laughs> so when, when you're not automating as much, you become a bit more emotional. So I try to like. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on prize picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Okay, round 2. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. 
ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Full work limited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Put every projection down and perfect them. And then I compare the new guys uh, with them. And sometimes I'm pretty happy when there's big news because it just gets my players even lower owned, especially if I think there's like a no public overreaction to a piece of news or a narrative that everyone sticks to that isn't really true. So yeah, uh, I'd say I start like 11, go to like two-ish, take a break, come back, check the news. I have alerts on my phone. Um, I'll kind of like evaluate in my head. Let's say, you know, three o'clock, Chris Paul's out. I'll say, okay, so that's gonna help this guy, this guy, and this guy. And I'll do that later. And then I come ha- come home at like six usually. I try, try and work out. But it's harder in the winter, and especially in Canada when it's just like freeze your face standing outside. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I try and take a break in the day, and then I come back, and then usually I'm in for the night, like until at least the West Coast games tip off. And then it's hard to walk away once you're that invested. It's like, oh, I'm already exhausted from all that work. May as well watch the late game. So it is a lot of work and stuff. But I'd say my process starts in the morning. And I'm pretty adamant about working hard through the slate. But there there are times where I've had to rush my process. And sometimes I've done well with that. Sometimes, you know, the extra 30 minutes would have been huge. So I try and always start early just so I don't leave anything on the table. Let me take a minute away from this conversation with Warren Kosoy to tell you about our sponsor, Noah's Advantage. Noah's Advantage is bringing you a different way to enjoy DFS with player prop contests. It's 100% peer-to-peer to help level the playing field with over 500 player props offered, and all new users get a $25 deposit bonus with promo code AWESEMO. That's A-W-E-S-E-M-O. Noah's Advantage has mass entry capability and big prize pools. Beat your friends, not the house. Use our Noah's Advantage projections and optimal lineup tool to help you take down big prizes. Download in the App Store or play on nohouseadvantage.com. Yeah. Uh, and do, do you consume any kind of content? Is that like part of your process, listening to shows, reading articles? Sometimes for football, there's some good stuff. I, I'll say that because there's so much going on in the NFL that it's like it's hard to keep up with like, yeah. uh, you know, sometimes there's a big piece of news like a defensive back or a safety are injured. And like, I'm not that in tune with all these teams. Like there's 50 guys on every roster. Sometimes I'll hear that on a podcast and go, whoa, well, maybe I better look into this offense a little more. So yeah, I'll listen for football, but other than that, no. Like hockey, I feel like I've mastered it. Uh, basketball, golf, I feel like no matter how much you listen to it's you don't know. I think you need a bit of like inside stuff and how these guys are feeling, how they enjoy the chorus. Like, you never know if their wife yelled at them the night before. <laughs> like you just don't know. Golf's so mental that that's kind of you kind of throw them away on a Thursday. Um, if there's any other sports, uh, tennis. There's really no content, and then not even remembering what other sports I play, but like pretty much just football. But generally not. Yeah, it's not not a big part of your process, which I think makes sense for someone like you who, if you're doing that much work on your own, putting in your your own minutes projection, this stuff, uh, like why do you need to hear other people's thoughts on it? Whereas for someone like me, where it's like, I don't, I'm not spending the time doing my own minutes projections. I think that they have more use because that's where kind of I learn about the nuances of the rotation, the different ways things could go. So it's more useful for, for somebody like me. But yeah, I, I think it makes sense for, for you if you are, you know, actively doing this every day, paying attention to the rotations, uh, it is probably going to be mostly noise and you're going to going to throw you off of, you know, your, your own process a little bit. So I think that it makes sense for, for you to not really be getting into the content as much as someone like me who kind of relies on it, to be honest, for, for some of that knowledge, uh, particularly for NBA. Um, yeah. I'd say for the first time, like 
during COVID when we had the lockdowns, I was like, really, I forgot to mention, I was really reliant on content and other people for League of Legends. It's like, you have to bet on something. And it was, it was kind of a unique feeling because like, I felt less annoyed when I'd lose after because I'd say, you know what, I don't know a lot about this. So it's kind of a bonus if I win, but I actually did well at League. But it was the first time in a long time where I felt like I had to learn everything again. And it was cool. Like you listen to these guys and you feel like you're getting good knowledge. So I, I recommend people kind of like use public info and, and touts even, but also at the same time, trying to work on a way to create your own process because there's nothing better than being uh, unique in a way where you feel like you're not sacrificing any uh, production, if that makes sense. That was, a, that was a really good segue into the next topic I want to talk about just a little bit, which is niche sports. Because uh, you you said on the theory of DFS pod that uh, you talked about how you think niche sports are a great place for new DFS players to build bankroll. Uh, and I, I'm curious, are there any particular sports or contests you'd recommend as far as like niche sports go? Um, well, similar to what I was saying earlier about the Olympic stuff, like you're going to find people who just have no idea what they're doing. And it's like, these are like what people like to call the D-Gen sports. These are the ones where, you know, someone's bored at work, someone just had a bad day, someone just lost in the thing they're good at, and they're like, I'm going to throw money at, like, 6 a.m. tennis or, uh, you know, like Madden simulation or EuroLeague basketball. And, you know, I have, like, so many crazy stories of, like, people I've played in these things where I'm like, what are you doing? Like, this never – I wish it would happen in NBA more. It would be, like, we'd all be, like, billionaires just sitting on a beach laughing. But unfortunately, there's not a lot of volume. And like kind of the common narrative I hear from people is like, hey, I, you know, I'm, I'm interested in this niche thing, but like, there's no volume, it's not worth it. But like, it's not true. Like if you post head to heads, you join every contest, once in a while, you're gonna get a random person you've never seen before, just take your biggest head to head and they just don't know what they're doing. And over time, that just adds up. And so in a sport like EuroLeague, there are slates where I would post thousands and thousands of dollars and I'd open it at lock time and it'd be like, oh, you have $125 in play. And I'd say, oh, well, that kind of sucks. I'm still going to try, but like, that's just the way it works. And then the next day you're going to get like two or 3,000. Like, it's just, it's pretty random. Um, but Maddensons are interesting. There was actually a guy who I played for a while and he didn't understand that the Madden's, Madden rosters were different than the real life rosters. They were like the preseason rosters. So it's like playing a guy who used, uh, I think he was using Tyrod Taylor uh, for the Chargers because he was the starter in real, or no, sorry, he was using Herbert because he was the starter in real life. But Tyrod Taylor was the Madden quarterback. So he had a zero and he did it like four slates in a row and he kept upping his stake. I was like, maybe he'll learn where, where the rosters are now. So like stuff like that, you won't get that in the real sports. So I, I really recommend to people if you have a passion for a sport and because like I'll talk to people, they're like, yeah, I love tennis. And I'll say, do you bet on it? Like, no. So I'll say, if you like tennis, like go at the lobby or if you like golf or yeah, I even consider golf like a niche one because like I'm sure there are people who are a lot smarter than me who like win every week and they just don't play a lot. Um, but like in particular, it's like the really small lobbies where you can become like the big fish in the little sea. I kind of talked about that on the Blender podcast. Um, if you can become the big fish and just, you'll be amazed at what you see. And it's kind of how I think these big guys survive in NBA, just like playing optimal one, 
you know, they don't have to, you know, beat everyone. They just have to beat someone. And, you know, these guys, like there's all sorts of people who want to take on the best. Like I've read chat rooms where they're like, oh, I need to beat Bill's fan in EuroLeague. And I'll get some random guy playing me. Like that doesn't happen in other sports. I wish it did. But uh, yeah, I, I really recommend to people to find a niche sport. There's so many on DraftKings, like Counter-Strike and, you know, all the esports, Call of Duty. And if you like become an expert at that, you can make a lot of money at it. It doesn't look like a lot, but it adds up. Like it's say when, like, like I've had like an ROI in some stuff, like 70 or 80% because the competition is so bad and it adds up. Like you, you barely win each day, but then you win it like, six out of seven days and you're like wow i just made a lot so yeah, i recommend yeah, so it quickly like, so you know. where the where do you think think you find your edge in these sports uh do you do you, and do you play them similarly to how you play like nba and nfl or is it a different process for these more niche sports well for basketball niche like EuroLeague, olympics <laughs> just finding the starting lineup is a huge accomplishment finding injuries and news so you have to like read a lot of stuff. I guess another sport I forgot to mention is college football. I used to play that, but it to, like to really catch up to the edge is a lot of work. You can read some. I used to like read coach quotes in like the local school newspaper, and I'd read, "Oh, we really want to force feed this guy today," and I'd pick the guy, and he'd be like two percent owned, and he'd get like ten catches, and I'd say, "Wow, that's crazy! This guy literally said it in an article that no one else is gonna read." So I just recommend people to try and go the next level. Like a good way to do that is like search the player's name on like Google news or Twitter. And you never know what you're going to see. Like I once saw in EuroLeague, this guy was ruled out, but he was ruled out in Turkish. <laughs> and I put translate tweet and it was like two minutes before the game started. And I swapped him out. I played the backup and everyone had the guy. It was like a chalk play on that slate. So I just recommend like, just be competent. Just don't be bad at it and don't take shortcuts and don't rely on public stuff because the public stuff usually isn't going to be good enough. So yeah, I just, just become an expert at something, become an expert at something and you'll be, you can become the best player uh, in these small lobbies. Cause they're really like, sometimes I'm sure if you go right now and look at EuroLeague and look at the head to head lobby, you'll see zero next to every dollar volume. So that, that could be your lobby. I mean, if, if you really wanted it to be. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. And th that's similar to the way that I approached XFL was just, mm -hmm. you know, the news was not as readily available. You didn't have these like aggregating sources that would tell you every bit of news as it came in. So you'd, I would just be like searching Twitter for player names. And that was how I found edge in XFL was just finding, finding news that other people didn't have access to. So yeah. that's a, that's a fun story translating from Turkish. I like that. Yeah. I like that story. That's a yeah. definitely deeper level than most people are going. Um, Let's talk a little bit about live finals, just because I've seen a lot of references to your live final experiences. Uh, how many have you qualified for and in which sports? Um, I've qualified, I've come in second in like God knows how many qualifiers, but uh, in 2017, I think I qualified for hockey. Or you know what, it was 2016 because I had an exam. It may have even been 2015. Yeah, 2015, I qualified for hockey. It was a lot smaller because not many people play NHL but I couldn't go because I had schoolwork and exam or something. Um, someone doesn't really count. I watched it like with friends in my house and it wasn't the same as actually being there. So in 2021, I went to Charlotte for basketball. I had four entries in it out of a hundred. And I was like preparing my victory speech before. Like I was really confident because it was day one of playoffs and it was an overnight slate. It was like right up my alley. 
And I think if, if we replayed those finals again, I would have, I would have had a really good uh, long-term ROI in them. Um, but yeah, I didn't do great in that. And then this year I qualified for Nashville, which uh, I guess little did I know would be probably my last live finals unless I move. Uh, but that one, it was a lot of fun. It's really cool to meet the people there. Like you end up meet, meeting people who you're like, oh, I hate this guy. Like if I ever meet him, like he took this money from me or like he's so lucky. Then you meet them in person and you're like, oh, this guy's actually kind of cool. It, it, it's cool though, because like I'm sure you have trouble perhaps talking about DFS with some friends that you have in real life. Like, cause like not everyone gets it. They're like, so which team do you need to win? Uh, just forget it. Let's talk about something else. Right. Uh, but when you go to these events and everyone's kind of on the same page and suddenly you can just talk without like the DFS for like five-year-olds filter uh, when you're trying to talk about your job and you can just like talk naturally. It's cool. It's cool to meet these people. You know, all these people in the chat that probably met like a good chunk of them. And it's, uh, it's nice we all have like a, a huge part of our life in common that a lot of people don't have so that's honestly half the fun so even like bombing these events in my opinion uh is worth it because like you just have such a good time and get treated well and it's uh they're good memories to have yeah i definitely have enjoyed my my two live final experiences it's a lot of fun meeting fellow mm -hmm. dfs players and especially if, if you know somebody's username like if it's somebody that you're familiar with it's definitely a, a very good time something that i enjoy so is that were, were live finals a big focus for you in general was that something that you were like seeking out live final seats regularly or was that something that it was like you were chasing overlay how, how much and, and what is the draw to live finals for you is, is that it just meeting the meeting the other players a bit of both i mean obviously uh you know, they put the first place prize next to the event. It's like, wouldn't that be cool holding up yeah. a big deck or something? Um, it's just fun, though. Like, it's kind of a, an experience you don't forget. Like, the the adrenaline level that you get before the event starts. Like, I remember in Nashville this year, we are on the bus to go to Top Golf to watch the games where they had a setup. Everyone was just so, like, quiet. Like, everyone, you could just feel the tension in the room. Like, everyone was nervous and it's hard to explain like it's just it's just different than doing it online where you're actually in person and it feels more it feels like more like a big deal i guess mm -hmm. than you know when you're joining a lot of money each night on a slate it doesn't feel as much like money as when you see your opponents kind of nervous and i don't know just the whole experience is fun and it, you know you feel like pretty cool for the few days while you're there you get treated well uh yeah. they treat you stuff. like vip they do like I, Very vip experience I feel like I, I walk with like a little pep in my step for a few days. Um, <laughs> That's Bill's fan seven 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 over there. Yeah, I mean exactly. You know, they might know who I am. Then yeah. you you say your username to people instead of your actual name. Someone always like usually people know my username. They're like, oh, I remember you from this and this. And you feel like a big deal, and then you fly home back to reality, or you're just like some internet sports nerd kind of thing <laughs> it's a different world yeah that's for, that's for sure uh when you uh once you have one live final seat are you more likely to try for additional seats just to give yourself a better shot at winning or are you are you content with one because that's all you really need to get that big trip and get that vip experience looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season test your skills on prize picks the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports just select two or more players pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats and place your entry it's as easy as that 
If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Um again, I guess it depends on the sport. I've never qualified for NFL. I've been really really close. Um Actually, my big NFL week, I think, was like the week after you could qualify for uh, a live final, which I probably would have won. But, um, yeah, I'll say that once you get one, you're like, yeah, that should be good in NBA. And then but my style, again, like I usually join the eight ninety five dollar one and it's sixty five or seventy people usually. And my style is, again, kind of like if you beat one of these guys, you're going to beat most of them. So I came close to winning so many seats in the last two years um, just with one entry in these things. And I never joined like the really expensive ones where it's like eight people trying to get one seat like that. That to me feels too risky. But um, no, I, I always feel it's like a good investment to join those. And I actually checked my roto tracker and I'm basically even on qualifiers uh, lifetime, which is pretty good when you yeah. get the opportunity once you're there. Like, uh, if I had actually done well in the tournament, my ROI on qualifiers and live finals would be through the roof, actually. So it's it's uh, it's good to have more than one entry, especially if you're this year. I was like stuck on a bunch of players and I kept switching back and forth and having four the year before was like I felt like at peace because I got everything I wanted in there. Like I got every player I wanted. I didn't leave anything out and I just didn't do well. But this year I kind of felt like, ah, the one lineup, it's pretty tough. And I yeah. kind of just choked and I used all chalk and then like one 1% guy who did terribly. So um, it's a lot more pressure with one, I think. So it's good to go for others without going crazy, I think. I don't have to look at my roto tracker to know uh, that live finals, going after live finals has just been lighting money on fire for me because I've never won a live final qualifier seat. I've only gotten it through uh, another tournament where it was a side prize. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely a money suck for me to try to go after the live finals. I've come pretty close a few times uh, and it's very frustrating to get you know, second or third, yeah. uh, be, be close to winning and not get it. But uh, I, do, I I can definitely see the appeal based on the couple live finals I've been to. It's, it's a great experience. Uh, but you, know, you mentioned going home, uh, flying back to reality after the live final. Uh, after uh, you flew out to, sh- to Charlotte for the live final uh, in the middle of COVID, you ended up having to quarantine for nearly three weeks when you got home. Uh, you were written up in the newspaper. Tell me a little bit about that. How, how did that happen that you had to quarantine for three weeks after you got home from Charlotte? That's like, a, that one was tough. So like at the time, it was just before vaccines had come out. Like it was probably dumb of me in hindsight to go. But like I said, like this is something I'd worked for for like six years. And I was like, I don't know, maybe I'll never qualify again. So I said, you know what? I'm young, I'm in good shape, I'm gonna just go. And when you come back, I was like, all right, if the quarantine two weeks, those are the rules. Um, but mine was way longer than two. It was like, I think it was 21 or 22 days. And so the way it works is once you come back, they give you a test. And on the eighth day, you have to send in another test. 
So I sent mine in. I got a notice back like five days later. They're like, we're sorry, your test was damaged. We'll send you a new kit though, which will take three to five days. And so at that point I was snapping. Like I was, I phoned them, I freaking out at the phone. Like, what do you mean? What do you mean three to five days? I can't like my friend or my parent or someone go pick it up. And they're like, no, they can't come get it for you. So they, I went nuts. I phoned them like, I was literally had nothing else to do. I was like phoning them nonstop, just tweeting about it. And then finally they like kind of rushed one over, sent it in. They damaged that one too. So then I freaked out. They were DMing me on Twitter not to like tweet about it. So I was losing it. And they're like, we're going to send you a nurse right away. They sent one. This is like day 18 or 19. I get the response. The nurse damaged my test. And so at this point, I was like laughing. I was like, this can't be real. And then the fourth person came. They did it. I got my result back the next day. Told them I'm going to sue them. I never did. <laughs> I really didn't have much merits other than just me being furious uh but it, it was serious here like they, there was a person who came to my door to make sure i was home who was wow. like, asking me questions and i wasn't really what, what happens if you're not home when they come in canada is it like you, a... probably give you a fine okay uh, that is, yeah it was intense but uh, i was just playing dfs every day during that stretch and not a lot of fun though the covid years weren't great but i think the trip was still worth it because it was like my first live final and we had still been locked down at the time. So it was nice going somewhere and just feeling uh, normalcy even for three days. That made the first like week and a half of the three weeks like very tolerable. I was like, hey, I still had that great memory. It was a lot of fun, whatever. So uh, I would I would probably do it again, yeah. <laughs> especially well, if you gave me the free live final entry. Then I'd 100% do it again. Yeah, for, for the free live final. I, I made the same judgment choice that you did in the middle of COVID. We, my wife and I flew out to Florida for the, the first tournament of champions. It was, it was at the Super Bowl, at the Tampa Bay Super Bowl, but it was the same. It was like COVID was rampant and we're going to Florida where it was like, you know, even worse than, than it was elsewhere. So we were, it was a really tough choice for us. We ended up because they, they were testing you every day, at least. So it was like, all right, we're getting tested every day and everybody that we're, you know, uh, with is getting tested every day. So we felt a little bit better just based on yeah. being tested every day. But uh, I don't know if I would have done it if I would have, if I knew I had to come home and be quarantined for two weeks, probably because what, what was I doing anyway at that point? Yeah, but, yeah, uh, quarantine for two weeks without the Super Bowl. And that, yeah, right. Yeah, yeah exactly. So yeah. Uh, yeah, it was, but it was definitely, it was an, it was a tough decision to make. Like, am I willing to fly out in the middle of this pandemic? Uh, but yeah. yeah, we, we did the, made the same choice that you did. Um, we, we got a number of pretty good listener questions here and let's just dive right into so, some listener questions at this point. I'll start with sure. one. Uh, Jay Rake asks, mm -hmm. can you ask Bills fan 777, why is he so bad in real life basketball when he's good at DFS NBA? That's fire. What, what's your, what's your response to that? I've been, you know, he knows, he knows what's going on. I, I told him, I saw this question and I, I said, uh, very funny. And he, he wrote, what? What? He's like doing the innocent act. Uh, I didn't hear that. <laughs> but yeah, me and him have been like joking about, uh, actually, no, I'm not joking. I'm serious. Like I said, I want to play him one-on-one -on -one and I'll play him for money if he wants, but you know, nothing beats the pride of winning, especially someone who's talking. But uh, I had made the mistake of showing him this uh, YouTube channel where this guy in Toronto comes around and he films, uh, you know, Toronto pickup basketball games. And there's one video I wasn't, I wasn't in a great mood that day. I was tired. I don't know what it was, but I just got owned in the video. Like this guy, he was, he was wearing pants and I thought I got him on a post move 
and he just jumped my route and he just volleyball spiked it. And then I was injured for a while and I had to get reminded of that every single day. So this guy, now that I'm playing again, I can send, I send this guy clips of me, you know, doing decent things. Um, but yeah, me and him go back and forth and I hope one day we'll get to play one-on-one. I mean, he's even gone to the lengths to direct message you to ask that question. So, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm going to plead the fifth, even though I'm Canadian and I'm not going to answer why I'm so bad at basketball. We'll just let our one-on-one do the talking. You're just going to shut Jay Rake up once and for all, once you finally play oh, him one-on-one. He's, unless he's good, we'll see. I don't know. What's uh, that like having having somebody follow you, like go to your pickup basketball games and film you and post it online? Is that uh, do you enjoy that? Do you do you seek out those those contests where you're going to be uh, filmed so you can oh, go watch 100%. your highlights later on? Oh, hundred percent. Because the nice thing is this guy like he like clips them, so if you screw up, like he's just not going to upload it to YouTube. So I just look great all the time. I shouldn't have said that out loud because now. <laughs> I'm like hiding stuff but no it's cool like he gets uh, it's just fun like you feel he has a lot of followers this guy a lot of subscribers so if you do something really cool you can actually get like a few thousand views on a video of just like something random so it's uh i love it i just it's fun because like when i'm doing something like that almost every day it's cool to have like video of it it's the same as like going to a concert or something you want to film it on your phone for a little bit just to like remind yourself you were there so it's fun and i have once reposted an instagram story of myself doing something uh that video so you know that got a lot of engagement so i was happy with it that would definitely give me uh some more incentive to practice kind of get in shape if i knew it was going to be filmed every time i'm playing basketball that would uh, be, be some real incentive for sure every, um, the whole world can see it if they want to so gotta be prepared you never know do you want to give out the guy's handle or do you want to keep that private Sure, I can. It's uh, uh, you know what? That's dangerous, but yeah, it's it's, <laughs> it's at Splash To. I'll tell right. him. Shout out on here. All right, I'm going to go to go, to, go to try to find at Splash To. That's on Instagram or Twitter. Uh, but, uh, Instagram and YouTube. Instagram and YouTube. Okay. All right. Uh, I'll go some highlights. Toronto pickup basketball highlights. Yeah, go for it. Nice, nice. <laughs> All right. Podcast uh, now. Let's go see yeah. how random Toronto people now. <laughs> uh, I mean, you got nothing better to do now. You're, now you can't play DFS. You might as well just go check out your old highlights. Watch yourself play basketball all day. Uh, I'm gonna have a playlist of my plays. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Uh, moving on. Next question. Ricky D asks. Uh, what is your connection to Dion Phaneuf? Dion Phaneuf. Uh, it's kind of, I'm amazed that he knows this, but this is, the, first of all, this is the old captain of the Maple Leafs. When I was a kid, uh, he used to like kind of annoy me as a player. So I made a parody account of him. It wasn't a very funny account and I deleted it long ago, but it was just an account where I basically like, if he screwed up in a game, I'd tweet something like kind of funny. But it, really, I'm shocked that he even knows if, if that's what he's even referring to, I'm shocked that he knows that I had that account, unless I may have mentioned it a long time ago. I don't know. But uh, yeah, that's my connection. I had a parody account. And then at first, it was just for fun. I was like, wait, if I really work on this, I can get a few thousand followers, which is pretty valuable. And I converted the account to like a failed basketball podcast that I did. Or it wasn't a failure at the time. It just uh, just died off. But uh, yeah, that's my connection to him. That, that's a really funny connection and funny that he knew that. I had assumed it was going to be like an inside joke of some sort. Uh, yeah. But just, uh, just knows your backstory, I guess. Yeah, he kind of spent his, done his homework, I guess. Yeah, all right. Uh, 
Nathan Van Hare asks, I need to know if the boots and cowboy hat he got in Nashville were worth the big price tag. Uh, yeah, he was a guy who I had spoken to when I met him in Nashville at the finals. Uh, we both did pretty poorly. But uh, yeah, so I think maybe it was a stress purchase. But the next day I was at a, one of those like cowboy shops on the, the main street there. I forget the name of the street. Uh, but I bought this like really expensive cowboy hat. And I didn't buy boots. I don't know why he thought I bought boots, but I bought the hat and it, it was worth every penny. I even wore it out in Toronto once and a few people were like, why are you wearing that? And I said, don't, don't ruin my vibe. But a lot of people complimented the hat too. And I love wearing it. Wearing it out in Nashville was awesome. Because even in Nashville, where like everyone's walking around in those things. I was getting approached by random people. They're like, I love your hat. It's so nice. I said, thanks. I know. What, what color is this hat? Uh, it's like gray slash beige. Okay. Even, I think it's gray. We'll call it gray. All right. I feel like hats are they're a great conversation starter in general. People actually, I get a lot of compliments on this hat in particular. Mm-hmm. Of all my hats, my, my XFL hat is uh, the one that people most often ask me about. But I imagine a cowboy hat, you know, in Minnesota, you'd get a lot of questions as well. I, I Of course, I'm married. Uh, but if for single people, I feel like wearing hats is just a go-to like conversation starter. Wear a funny hat. I feel like yeah. that might have been on how I met your mother or something. I don't know. I feel like I got this from a, from a sitcom or something that wearing a unique hat is a good way to, to start conversations. Um, but yeah. My Buffalo Bills hat after that devastating loss against the chiefs, I was in Florida at the time because we were locked down and I just said, I'm going away. Uh, every person I walked by in Florida, they're like, Oh, I'm so sorry. Just random strangers. <laughs> I was like, thanks. I know I needed to hear that. It was a tough one. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, it was. <laughs> It was, uh, it was, I called it my empathy hat. I would just wear it around anytime I wanted someone to feel bad for me for a few minutes. And yeah, it worked. I met, I had so many people would talk to me when I wore that hat. So I wore it out all the time in Florida. And uh, yeah, st- even today, like when I was at the golf event last week in Toronto, I was wearing a Bills hat. Just a bunch of random people would walk by, like, yeah, go Bills, go Bills. The, the mafia spreads wide, I guess. Definitely don't get that empathy wearing a Timberwolves hat around Minnesota because everybody's kind of like, yeah. Minnesota sportsman. That's that's just what we do. We're all kind of in it together. Nobody nobody feels sorry for anybody else because we're all in the same boat together. Uh, it's yeah. nice that people that people empathize with you though. Um, all right, uh, Brian Jester asked. So so back to that that big win where you won uh, $470,000 in one day in NFL in week 16 last year. He said, you locked Burrow in the slant, the Millie and the Wildcat. He said promptly won 250K plus uh, I saw the screenshot. It was $470,000 that you won that day. Uh, He asked why the lock on one quarterback and how sick was that week? No, he's, he's going to get really angry at my answer. I guarantee you. So I had been like, kind of, I, like I said, I'd had a bad NFL season. I think it was actually week 14 or 15. I can't remember. Maybe it was 16. I'm not sure. You know what? It was 16 because uh, I had Antonio Brown the next week and he took his shirt off and retired. I just, and I remember saying, well, at least I had my week last week. So, yeah, uh, sorry, I'm diverting. But, yeah, that week I'd gone out the night before. And the whole week I'd read about how, like, the Ravens secondary is missing, like, four defensive backs. And they still have, like, a top run defense. And I just figured, you know, I woke up at 10. And I said, I kind of want to go back to sleep. I hadn't registered for any contest. And I said, "Ah, you know what? I read all this stuff about the Ravens this week. I'm just, I don't really like anything else. I know no one is going to pick Burrow. I'm going to be lazy and lock it so I can go back to bed for a bit. 
Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> that was that was why I did it. I, I warned him on Twitter that it's going to tell them. Did, did you play the same stack in every lineup, or was it just Burrow was the same and you stacked him with different receivers? So what I did is I I made a rule that you could use two out of three of Higgins, Boyd, and Chase. But I actually used more of Higgins and Boyd because Chase had just had a few big games. And this is where, like, the rare time where I was actually, like, thinking, like, strategically. I was thinking if the Ravens are that shorthanded on defense – there's no way they're going to play Jamar Chase one-on-one without safety help. And then the even worse defensive backs are going to be on Boyd and Higgins one-on-one. And those guys are really good route runners, like Higgins especially. And I remember the first drive, Burrow hit Higgins like three passes in a row. And I can't remember if he got a touchdown at the end of it, but I just said, wow, this is just going to – I just have a good feeling today. And then the other guy I had that week um, who I used a lot of, and he happened to be on my best lineup, was Isaiah McKenzie. And he's on the Bills. And Cole Beasley was ruled out as a big game. And I figured New England would take digs out of it a little bit. And McKenzie had like 10 catches. He was 0.1% owned. And I used him because the year before when Beasley was hurt, he actually had a two touchdown and like six catch game. But it was week 17, so no one really paid attention. You know, to win like that, you really just need luck. And I I'd kind of been getting tired of like spreading my quarterback exposure out so thin that like, you know, you can't even if you nail a stack and you have 20% of it, like the, uh, there's so many lineups you can make with that. Like the quarterback is just one part. So I figured if I pick the best quarterback receiver stack, and I think next year, if I move, I'm going to try this again. Cause I'd actually tried it two weeks before against the Ravens. Cause they're in the same spot. I actually locked Ben Roethlisberger and I'm not going to get the glamor for that one, but he actually had his best game of the season that week. I think he had like 23 or 25 points. I used him and Deontay Johnson in every lineup. And he had two touchdowns and I like broke even that week because I think there was another stack that was chalky that went nuts that I didn't have. But, but anyway, yeah, uh, going back to that week, I, I just kind of said, I want to try this out. I want to see if it works. And I had seen in the week before, I think someone used Cam Newton and won a tournament with five points from their quarterback. I think they won the millionaire maker because they had every other player, right? So I said, you know what, like if Burrow doesn't do bad, like I can still make money back if I get my flex plays right. 
I just want to see what happens. And then obviously, you know, you have to get lucky for that to happen. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I knew he was going to throw 500 yards. Like, it's luck. Like, when you win a tournament, at the end of the day, it's luck. Like, no matter how good you are, I think you have to be good to put yourself in a position to be lucky. But you still have to be lucky at the end of the day. And it worked out. Like, Higgins had, like, 200-something yards, like, three touchdowns. And I actually think I had a chance to win the Millie Maker, but Tyler Boyd had a huge touchdown called back. They did a long review. It was right at the end of the game, and they showed that he, like, bobbled the ball and hit the ground. Yeah. So if he had caught that, I probably would have won even more. I'm not asking for sympathy or anything, but <laughs> I won't say, oh, I ran so bad. It's like, yeah. I ran so good to be in that position. And, yeah, it just kind of worked out. It's just how it went. And I, I really liked Burrow. It wasn't like – it wasn't only because I was lazy. It was like – just don't want to use anyone else i just want to see what happens if i just use them and i'll just bet less than i usually do and so it worked that was uh couldn't couldn't work out i mean i guess it could work out better in that you could have won the millie but without absent winning the millie that's uh, about as well as that could have possibly worked out and yeah i think that makes sense if you don't like anybody else and nobody's playing this quarterback that you know you see the logic to play in him i think that was a strong call especially with you know having three receivers that you could pair him with too you didn't have to just lock in with you know Devonte adams if you play aaron Rodgers. it's uh you can right. easily spread it out and it makes sense with joe burrow so that's yeah. uh it's interesting and i feel like we've seen a lot more top players doing that recently i think i've there have been weeks that whistles has just locked in one quarterback uh megan joy has just locked in one quarterback and one tournaments that way uh, so i think that a lot of top players have been kind of moving in that direction to some extent i know geo rbx 88 sometimes you know often limits himself to like you know, four quarterbacks or so. So maybe that's uh, – I'm definitely one who I typically spread out my quarterback exposure, but maybe that's something that uh, is worth reconsidering because it seems like a lot of people have a lot of success uh, just by focusing on the one stack they like and, you know, get different uh, – mix it up with other positions. Yeah, I mean, like DFS, it's all about, like, experimenting. Like, I don't think it's the right way or the wrong way. I just think it's sometimes cool to just try something different. I mean – it's no different to me than just playing cash and using a quarterback. It's not like I'm going to use a different quarterback in every double up. Like if you pick one, like your week isn't, your week isn't over if you didn't have Joe Burrow. Uh, right. Or sorry, your week isn't over if you have Joe Burrow and he has like a, you know, 20 point game. Like that was, I was thinking like if he gets 20, I'm fine with that. And it just worked out the way it did. But uh, I think next year, if I, if I move for NFL, I'm going to try to do it like one or two quarterbacks a week. All right, just focus on focus on the ones you trust. Yeah. Um, all right, Justin McMahon says, Warren, who is the one person you fear most in best ball lobbies, and why is it the human cesspitus? Yeah, that would be himself. Um, yep. I remember we talked about this in Nashville. I think I had joined one best ball pool, and I had a really good team. And I don't really like best ball because it's too long and drawn out. And he came in first in that pool, and I was kind of pissed off because, like, I think he ended up doing really well in best ball that year, like with that entry. So I had a good one and he had a better one. So I wouldn't say I fear him. I just, I don't know. I guess, I guess I fear him because he beat me, but I don't think I'll ever be in a best ball lobby again. But I think that's what happened the way I reca recapped it. But I remember him being in the draft and auto drafting. But he obviously set his rankings up uh, and he still beat me. So yeah. I guess I have to fear him if I've never beaten him in one. I do, I do remember him being placing well in one of the, I think he was live to win one of the higher dollar uh, DraftKings best ball tournaments. Um, but I didn't know, so, so you, you're not a big best ball guy. That's, I didn't think of you as being a big best ball guy. Do you, do you play not really at all? 
No, I'm not too into it. But I will say that Justin is a contrarian guy. And when the DraftKings, when they took us out to SDK, I think he's the only one at the table who didn't order a steak. So I forget what he got. He got like chicken or something. He was sitting a few seats away. But I remember my son was like, who is this guy not ordering a steak? So he's a contrarian. So I guess it, it works out for him. I don't think it worked out for him that night, though, because I enjoyed my steak there. So I'm going to say I won the meal choice at SDK. I don't think I ever told them that. that I <laughs> That's day. great. Yeah, I, my, my experience has been when, when DraftKings is paying for the meals, uh, get the, I get the steak in here. You can't can't go wrong there. I've definitely had some delicious steaks on the, the DraftKings dime, which is Maybe thrown in a lobster tail. I don't know. Yeah. Any better. Oh, we, thought... actually, we went to some restaurant uh, in the last tournament uh, where they – there was steak was like the main course, but they also like filled us up with seafood, like entrees, but it was just like huge platters of seafood. Uh, it was, uh, it was too much, too much food, um, but delicious. So we all just gorged ourselves, but uh, yeah, I, I enjoy eating on the DraftKings dime. That's for sure. It's uh, they, they treat you well. Food tastes a lot better when it's free. That's right. Exactly. Uh, let's see. Uncle, Uncle Jeffy asks, will you move to Quebec and can we all come sleep on your couch? Yeah, he's, another, he's another guy in the Ontario Discord. Uh, I don't know. I might move. And if I do move, well, he, he doesn't need a couch. He lives like 15 minutes from Quebec. He can just drive there and back. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, he is also more than welcome, if he so pleases, to sleep on my theoretical couch that I don't have yet in the house I don't own in Quebec. But if I do move, it would be pretty cool. I'm sure a lot of Ontario people that I know would probably, if they're into DFS, would probably want to come and uh, throw some bets down and have somewhere to stay. But uh, moving to a new city would be kind of tough. Like it's, you're leaving a lot behind. And then I think it would put a lot more pressure on my DFS performance. And I uh, don't know if it would help or hurt it, but uh, it would just make it less of a fun thing and more of like a, geez, I need to win thing. You know what I mean? If you're moving away from, right. from where you grew up and everyone you know. So uh, I still have to think about it for a while, decide if I'm going to you know, go uh, keep my DFS career going. Sounds like an opportunity for a DFS bachelor house. I mean, there's been a lot of talk of like, we need like a reality TV in the DFS streets. I feel like this oh, is the opportunity. We've got all these uh, disgruntled Ontarians. I don't know. Is, is it Ontarians uh, yeah, yeah. who could move to Quebec and set up like a bachelor house and just play DFS together in this house, videotape it, set up a reality TV series. Is this, uh, you going to sign up for this? Can you imagine the gossip though? Like people, like, did you see his optimizers? <laughs> right. It would be pretty hard for anyone who doesn't get into sports to watch this stuff. <laughs> yeah. It would be the most painful reality TV show. Ever, you know? For those of us in the DFS race, we would find it fascinating. He yeah. does it on his phone. He has to use this supercomputer. He's hand yeah. building. You know, it's just, yeah, the gossip would be pretty it's incredible. It's like right from, I won't say a site name, but like, <laughs> you know. Right. I don't want to burn any bridges for you. Yeah. But, uh, I have one in mind. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, I won't I won't go there either. All right. We got a, a listener question from Refresh who asks, can you ask Warren when he's going to release his and one mixtape? You know, I should edit. I should ask our producer on here uh, to just clip together all my videos of weird post moves and uh, throw one together, throw it to some NBA teams. Maybe that'll be the next step. No. Uh, I don't think. <laughs> I don't think it would be very appropriate for me to make a mixtape because I, I have very, I think you need to be able to dunk. You need to mm, like, can't dunk. 
Uh, I'm an old man game, so I don't think anyone wants to watch those highlights. But uh, if he wants to make me a mixtape, he's by all means, he's very welcome to. But it's not going to happen on my watch. Again, I if I could, you know, bet on your your basketball games while they're while they're live, I would. I'd watch your old man games, uh, but I'm not going to do it if I don't have money on it. If it's just a uh, you know highlights, you can't really bet on highlights. So yeah, I, I'd probably watch it. I'd probably watch it uh, just for the just for the enjoyment, you know, once. But I probably wouldn't uh, regularly. I've actually watched like the Roto Grinders basketball games in the past, and I'd see like, playing against uh, just kind of like out of breath after like five seconds, one yeah. post up sub. Uh, but yeah, I always found those entertaining. But some of those guys were actually pretty good in the indoor Roto Grinders game back in the day. Yeah, uh, yeah, some of them look pretty good. I've seen clips. I've seen clips here and there. I uh, have have not watched the full game. I, I wouldn't even know where to find it. Um, uh, Shrek asks, "Why are you a Bills fan?" He says, "I mean, they went to the Super Bowl, I guess, but the goal is to win." He's just trolling. He's a Patriots fan, but uh, I guess uh, did you already answer why you are a Bills fan? I Maybe that was pretty sure um, we talked about a little bit. Yeah, I'm, I'm like two hours from Buffalo. So I live in Toronto. And once you get to the border, it's like another 25 minutes. So it's it's not far at all. Um, so I've gone to – I actually went to the wind game last year, if anyone watching remembers that, when they played uh, New England. And the field goal posts were like blowing over. My hat kept falling off. Like It was just crazy. And like right when I got there – I said to my friend, like, I wish betting was legal here. I would bet, like, under everything because this is insane. Like, there's no way they could throw a football. And that was the yeah. game that New England, I think they threw it. They either had two completions or two attempted passes. I can't remember which. Or maybe it might even... have been two attempted passes. Yeah, it was – It was. I think I, I'm pretty sure I did a live stream for that show, and it was just like, yeah, this did not go – I did not predict zero passes. I, I was thinking, like, they'll throw it shorter. Like, they'll, you know, the slant receiver maybe will get more. Maybe the running backs will be able to get, get more receptions. But it was like, no, they weren't attempting any distance. It was just handed off every single time. Uh, yeah. yeah, that was – fun game to be at, though, or no? Oh, I I think that was like the greatest ratio ever of like being at a game versus watching on TV and the actual enjoyment level you'll get from it. Because people said they couldn't watch that game on TV. But when you're there and like literally getting a first down is like the biggest deal. Yeah. The fans are going nuts. It, it was a really cool experience, I'd say. I, I really enjoyed going. I would go again to a game that way. Nice. Maybe right. later. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, Nico asks, what was your aha moment in DFS or one DFS sport in particular? Um, I would say in NBA 2015 or 2016, yeah, uh, when I discovered a site that had on-off stats. And the very first night I discovered that I won a $200 tournament, which was kind of what I talked about earlier. That was like my first year where I was taking off. And then I found this. And I won a $200 tournament. I came in first place and the next best person was 30 points behind me. Cause I, that was like well before like the on off stuff was being talked about in articles where it's pretty generic stuff. Now, like this guy's on, this guy's off his fantasy points per minute. And I can almost still remember the roster that I had. I think I remember like half of it. Uh, I don't know if I should try to name it or if that would bore people, but I, I just remember there were a few guys that popped up where I was like, well, I was not going to pick him. And then after that, I started doing really well in NBA. And it uh, kind of like opened my mind to like how much deeper the research can go. And now that's more of a normalized stat. But at the time, it was like uh, unheard of really to talk about. Let's hear who, who was in the lineup. This is 2015, you think? And you won $200. You remember 
you think you might remember the lineup that won you two hundred dollars? No, it won me. It was a two hundred dollar tournament. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so it, won, it was my first big hit. It was like thirty thousand. I won. That okay, game. that's a different thing then. Yeah. <laughs> it was a lot funnier to me when I thought you just won two hundred dollars and it was such a big deal. Yeah, no, a young no. guy. Okay. No, that would be that'd be weird if I remembered that. I have a very good memory, but let me see if I can do this. I know I had Derek Rose when he was on the Bulls. I had Wesley Matthews when he was good. Uh, I had Taj Gibson. That guy's been in like five of my winning lineups. Uh, I remember my last guy in was Brandon Bass. See how memorable this win was? Like I still remember my team. Uh, Chris Kim, yeah. I had. Wow. I remember him. I'm blanking on the other three spots though. I remember this last year. But... It's all right. You don't. You don't have to remember everything. I just wanted to, to, to push it a little bit because I, I don't think I could uh, name my Millie Maker winning team. Like at this point, I don't think I could tell you who was in that lineup. So yeah. uh, it's impressive to me that you can remember. Uh, this is what seven years later, uh, a lineup that won you thirty thousand dollars, which yeah. I'm sure was a, was a huge deal at the time. But uh, at this point, you know, you've you've won so much since then. Yeah, I can't even remember my Joe Burrow lineup. Yeah, like, I just remember Burrow, Higgins, and Boyd, and then and Burrow. Isaiah McKenzie. Yeah, and probably Cooper Cup, but I don't remember. I don't know for sure. No, yeah. I did have Cup because I remember he got a big catch that I needed, but I don't remember the other guys. I don't know yeah. who I had a running back, but, but I think the first big win just stands out the most. For, for sure, yeah. So that's why I remember five of the eight. Now, disappointed yep. myself. I, I I had all eight last year, even. I know that my first two five-figure uh, DFS wins, I had Kyle Korver in one and JJ Redick in the other, and I. Those two have always been kind of intertwined in my mind, just like these spot-up shooting guards yeah. uh, who are just kind of randomly will spike here and there. But that's all I remember about those lineups. One had J.J. Redick, one had uh, Kyle Korver, and that's the only thing I remember. Um, all right, we've got uh, one final listener question, and then I've just got a couple more questions uh, to close it out. Our final listener question, Bob Jam asks, how do you deal with people trying to jinx you? That's funny. Uh, I don't know if you were in the chat at the time, but like uh, – he, he, I don't know if he's probably trolling along too, but like, I would get kind of annoyed if someone would like tell me like, oh, look, you're going to win this and then I don't win and then they just disappear. So I hate being jinxed. I'm not even superstitious. I just don't like being jinxed at all. And yeah, we have a few guys in that chat who I remember one, um, do you remember when Amanda Nunez lost in UFC when she was like minus 1500 or something? Yeah, pretty sure I played that week. Yeah. Yeah, so I had five out of five, a unique lineup with Nunez as the last player, and she had to get 100, like, five points, and I would have solo won a UFC contest. And so someone's like, wow, you have no way of losing. <laughs> Nunez is going to crush. And I was like, just don't say that. You know I don't like jinxes. And then she lost. And then the guy just I, – I, I told him he could, like, uh, I'd send him an invoice for whatever the first place prize was. But, yeah, I, I don't like getting jinxed just because, like, it's just not fun. I, yeah. I don't like counting my money when it's on the table, like that old song. Uh, so I, once it's over, I feel good. Like even on that day when I won uh, with Joe Burrow, like I was so far in first place. And I, like I was fading like four touchdowns. And I was like, don't jinx it. Don't jinx it to people who are messaging me. I was like, we'll yeah. sit, wait till it ends. Because I just don't, I don't know. I'm the same way. I'm like, yeah. in, until it's over, I don't want to hear about it. And I don't think of myself as being superstitious in general, but in that one way, like at the end of contest when I'm sweating, especially if I have a lead or if I'm like chasing and I think that I'm the favorite, I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to, I don't want people to like congratulate me prematurely because I always think like it's not over till it's over. 
yeah if someone writes grats to me i'm like don't you dare don't congratulate me until i deserve it and then by the time it's done they, they probably don't even want to congratulate me because i'm already in a bad mood that they yeah. told me earlier but yeah <laughs> I, I, I don't like that's raj by the way uh, who asked you that that's yeah, yeah i know I'm, I'm aware who it is um he, he he's not really i don't even know if he's in our chat anymore i don't think he's ever been really active in the time that i've been involved in it but i have heard yeah. enough about him he pops in and out once in a while when he's on a winning streak he hops in oh okay all right that makes sense That's and i know his username he's, he's another great fan duel dfs player at least yeah he is um all right uh so i just got a couple couple more questions uh for me to just I'm, I'm curious about so now uh, you've been playing dfs have you been i mean has this been your profession primarily for the past decade or so dfs has been your profession so okay. now you you can't play anymore so dfs has been your profession for a decade since you were 18 uh so it's been kind of your whole adult life have you been doing more you look like you're kind of questioning that well i i was in school for a lot of it right, right that's true for what okay. i wanted to do so i was doing it more it was still for fun even after my first win I was like, okay, I'm going to keep playing, but this isn't your job. Like, keep focusing on other stuff and don't rely on this. Because, like, uh, but, yeah, it's after school. I was like, all right, I'm going to do this for a bit, see how it goes. Went all right for a while. Then there was a point where I was questioning it, and I went to, like, a journalism program. And then after that program, I said, I can't do this. I, I need to go back to DFS. Like, once I saw the other option, I said, you're going to, figure out DFS. <laughs> I'm not sitting behind a desk and doing like manual work for other people. They're just higher up in the rankings that they don't have to do. Right. So yeah, I'd say for the last few years, it's been like unintentionally, like what I've ended up doing, it's just made the most sense. I wouldn't even call it like my job per se. It's just more like, it's just more what I did. It just worked kind of. Yeah. Uh, so I was going to keep doing it as long as I felt that I could live comfortably off it. Right, but it has been your, your primary source of income at, at oh, least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so so but now uh, so, so it's been your your primary source of income, a big part of your life for ten years. Now suddenly you can't do it anymore. So what is next? I mean, you you say you went to journalism school for a little bit. You used to write for Roto Grinders. You've done a few of these uh, interviews. You used to do live stream for Roto Grinders. Uh, do you have any interest in like doing content DFS related content now, or or maybe coaching for DFS, or what 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 is your plan uh, with you know outside of moving and starting doing DFS elsewhere? Do you think you have any idea of what you might want to do now um i've thought about it i think starting a website is something i've considered like a band ontarians website or something because i think um outside of like a select few i think most of the touting sites uh, are a lot of them are guys who kind of like what we talked about earlier like you either have a skin in the game and you're not doing that great or you don't have skin in the game i think that's a lot of the content whereas i think if I started a site, it would be kind of the first one where I could say, hey, look, I am I was banned. I was doing very well for a very long time. And now that I can't play, I'm going to tell you everything I did. I think that's pretty easy to market because I, I wouldn't I would have nothing to gain by holding back. And I think that some sometimes touts might be prone to do that. They might say, hey, I don't want to, I'll tell you 90%, but I'm not going to tell you everything because it makes sense. Like they have to win money too. Um, so I, I've thought about doing that. Um, thought about, I want to stay involved in this, but I'm also got a bit of a pipe dream to maybe work for an NBA team, which okay. is trying to work towards, but uh, definitely a lot of work. I've been considering going to summer league, 
to maybe meet some people there. But I'm kind of giving myself like a few months just to chill for a bit. Kind of feel like I earned it. Yeah. Probably once football comes around, I'm going to start thinking about what I want to do again. Like once it gets a little colder out, uh, which it is very prone to do here. So I'm not too sure what is next, but I'm, I'll definitely like, uh, I'll probably tweet about it. Uh, if I ever figure out my next step or if I'm coming back, then I probably just won't tweet that I'm back. I'll just lobby again. We'll see you in the lobby. See you at the top of the contest again. Maybe, hopefully. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. seems like you've probably earned a little bit of a break here and this is a, uh, yeah, it's, Sounds like it's been kind of nice to, to take a little break from DFS for the most part. It's been kind of freeing. Yeah, I have like a, I have a sleep tracking app and my deep sleep score is like one of the best in Canada. Everyone else knows the app and like my sleep score is consistently like 95, 96. Is this just since you quit DFS or even before that? Or since you got stopped, stopped being able to play DFS or were you already having a, a great sleep score prior? I already, I always had, a, I always slept well, even if I had like a bad streak, but it would take me a bit longer to fall asleep if I was on a slump. Yeah. Um, but now it's just like, I lie down and I just pass out and I, it's just nice. You can wake up when you want. The freedom is yeah. good, but I think after a while, everyone kind of wants a purpose. Yeah. So eventually I'll get bored of doing that. And then that's, once I get that itch to start doing something again, that's when I'll really figure it out. All right. Okay, so I, I've been I've been closing this out by asking everybody to tell me about your favorite win or win celebration. Uh, so what was it? Was it was it the Joe Burrow Day or something else? You're gonna be so disappointed in the Joe Burrow Day. Like when I win, I get so like into the games that I'm exhausted after them. So I did nothing when I won. I literally went to bed. <laughs> I was so not like, that one. Not that one. I'm trying. To, I don't think I've ever. It was probably in university, but like. Maybe that like 30,000 night where I just like went crazy at the bar probably the next night where I just like was drinking and like buying people drinks because I was just fired up. Uh, but usually like when I win big, like a lot of the time it's like following a cold streak or it's like, I don't really even, it's bad. I don't think of it really as money right away. Like it doesn't feel like I've won it because like when you lose a lot for a while or you win a lot for a while, like the swings get so extreme that when I won, like, the Burrow win was, like, it didn't feel as good as the first big win because I'm so used to the ups and downs that I'm kind of, like, acclimated to it. So, like, I think it's good to be that way because, like, a lot of people were like, well, if I won what you won, I would have bought this, I would have bought this. And I'm just like, oh, I, I don't think like that. Like, yeah. I wish I did sometimes. Like, I probably deserve it uh, more than I give myself, but. I don't know. I don't, I don't really go nuts after a huge win, but I, I did. I remember that time, my first big win, I just went out, but I've never like done anything really like crazy spontaneous in the moment after, but like, I guess I did travel to Florida like a month after I won, but, it, and I probably wouldn't have done it had I not won. So, but I wouldn't call it a celebration. It was like, Oh, I have money to do this now. So I'm going right. to do it. But uh, yeah, I'm, not, I'm sure you've had way better closing stories than that one. I, I've had some some good closing stories. I think that a lot of us, though, are I'm kind of the same way. For the most part, when we win, we're just at home by ourselves. Like it's it's usually, especially like NBA, it's like it's late at night. Typically, the rest of the house is asleep. Uh, people with family, so it's just uh, yeah. Mo most of most of my wins have been by myself after other people are asleep. Uh, yeah, it, it definitely, it, it's, a, it's a wide range of stories. There are people who have like, I was with my friends out at a bar, and then there are people. Yeah, who no, I actually do have one. Um, 
and it was actually probably in like my worst point of DFS where I was like, I couldn't win. It was when I was doing my journalism school. And then I think I probably played like 500 or a thousand dollars. And I came first, second, third, fourth, and fifth in the $15 NBA tournament. And at the time I'd run a 10 car train and my friend had invited me over to his place to go out. And originally I was going to go and I said, wait a minute, I have a chance to win here. I won't even be like able to talk to anyone. If I go out, I'll be on my phone. So I realized I had, uh, there was a Kings late game and I switched five of my teams from Belitza to Buddy Heels. This is when they were both on Sacramento. Mm -hmm. And then the Buddy Heel teams came first, second, third, fourth, fifth. And usually I don't, I just ran a train. It was kind of just like that delusion. Like imagine if you came, you ran the train at the top and if you're close later, you'll change it. It was more just like a single entry. And obviously I won every other tournament, but I remember calling my dad and saying, dad, like cheer for Buddy Heald because no one had him. And my dad came in and Buddy Heald hit like five threes in a row. And we were both like in shock. He's like, well, I'm the good luck charm. And then I told him, I'm not telling you how much I'll win unless I actually win. And then I won that. And then I think I went out the next night. But uh, that night I ended up staying home because I was just like too shocked that that had just happened. Because the odds of that happening are like impossible. Yeah, that's definitely that. uncommon to run a train at the top. Yeah. That's fun though. That's a lot of money. I mean, depending on the tournament, but uh, typically that's going to be a lot of money. So yeah. that was a very good night as well. I think that the guy who uh, you had him on here, uh huh, bro. I don't know. Yep. How to, yeah, he uh, he tweeted about it. Like that was back when he was like kind of tweeting the results all the time. So yep. he tweeted about that, like the most unlikely circumstance, like Bills fan seven 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 comes first, second, third, fourth, and fifth with a very unique lineup. And I still remember most of that team too. But that that night was probably as happy as I was on the thirty thousand dollar night because it was probably at the point where I was questioning DFS again. I feel like we've all been through that where you go through a cold streak and you're like, is this really? Yep. And then to just shoot up. I feel like I've had a lot of my big wins at the right time, which is why I'm, I'm hesitant to move uh, to keep playing. Yeah. Like, almost nice to stop while you're ahead, but figure that part out. But I, I just remember that night being like extra fun because like my dad came in, he couldn't believe like this guy was hitting every shot. And I was like, trust me, he doesn't usually do this. <laughs> He's he pretty streaky. Buddy Heald is one of those guys, yeah. one of those guys like the Aaron Gordons and the Delos who yeah. occasionally will just have those spike games. So that was probably, uh, I mean, that, that made a lot of sense to make that pivot in that game. Because exactly. he had that, he had that, you know, he has that in him for sure. For sure. So I just said, one of those two has to do well at the same price. I'd be sick if I didn't pivot one of my 10 cars. So it made, made perfect sense to do that. Yeah. All right. Well, that's that, that's a better story than the previous one. So I'm, I'm glad you thought of that story as well. Uh, all right. Well, thank you, Warren. Thanks for coming on uh, to episode 18 of High Stakes. Thank you to Mike Lawrence for producing as always. And thank you for watching. Episode 19 of High Stakes will be available next Friday at three o'clock Eastern on the Stochastic YouTube channel and anywhere podcasts live.
Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.